does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Now, Kevin, this might be the eternal optimist in me. Because, you know, I mean, if anything else, I'm just the ray of sunshine in the morning for the city, right? Uh, sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> but today, we've done this program now for, I'm trying to think. This show has actually, we started in October. Is that right, Mark? Of whatever year? Yeah. It's been like... 18 months, right? 18 months. Okay. Felt like feels like five. I feel like in this 18 months... Today is the first, this is the most bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, awake and alert Monday that the three of us have had. Sometimes one, two, three, but in terms of a Monday, ready to go, polished, clean, and ready, like, here we are. Everybody seems Boy. to be up and ready to go. Am I? Is that just me? You really uh, set us up for failure the rest of this week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, the children did not abide by those uh, parameters last night, so... Um, we're a little bit on fumes this morning, but we will make do on this Monday morning. It is a beautiful looking Monday, not necessarily temperature wise. And you know what? When Mark sent out the tweet last night of like, hey, it's draft week, I just finally was like, thank the Lord. Oh, I mean, and, and, and you know what? It, it's not just like, thank the Lord. Like, I think I speak for everyone, and I know this isn't endorsing necessarily our listenership. Um, I think we are as equally tired talking about it as you are listening to it. But I also think like Thursday night offers the first chance for this franchise to hand out some hope to their fan base in quite some time. Kevin, I think, and I appreciate, honestly, that people understand and have kind of stuck by us while we've had to talk kind of ad nauseum about the same four or five guys and subjects for the last month. And that's the reality of the NFL draft. I mean... You know, you hear all kinds of, and it always works this way. I remember saying, I don't know, a month ago, do you remember we were talking and I'm like, listen, let me tell you two things that are going to happen without question. And I'm like, one of them is somebody's going to go into the combine and become like one of these combine dream situations that just explodes overnight and becomes a household name instantly. And you're like, wait, what? You know, and another is... You're going to have somebody that slides because they didn't do well in the measurables and the interviews. Maybe those two definitively haven't taken place, but there have been cycles through where they've each taken their turn being one of those guys or the other or whatever else. And then when the dust settles, it kind of comes back to the same order of the four that you always expected, with Stroud being the one possible outlier there. You know, I don't know where Stroud goes. Maybe the Colts are the ones that have been floating the negativity about C.J. Stroud and it causes them to fall a little bit. I I can't see... I, I thought about this, Kevin. If, if there are questions at quarterback enough to the point where it forces the Houston Texans to bypass on a quarterback while having the second pick in a draft that supposedly has four guys in it that can play quarterback, but if at if the second choice of those four is not so lock, stock, and barrel no-brainer that the Houston Texans go defense, what does that tell you about the quarterbacks in this draft? 
Yeah, I mean, Devil's Advocate could say, what does that tell you about the Houston Texans franchise, too? Uh, understood. Um, you know, are they playing the long game? Do they look at two first-round picks for next year and say, hey, we are... That's a dangerous way to play, yeah, man. I, I don't disagree with that. Um, yeah, I'm just so ready for, for Thursday night on multiple, multiple levels. Uh, Tom Allen going to join us, head coach of the Indiana Hoosiers, coming up here at the bottom of the hour. Of course, we had Ryan Walters uh, from Purdue on last week. We'll have Tom Allen join us here in, I guess, less than a half hour. Then Joel A. Erickson from the Star at 8 o'clock will recap Chris Ballard's comments from Friday. Uh, how was the weekend for you two? Uh, Mark, I'll let you begin. It was good. Uh, Friday, uh, Addison had a uh, like a school-wide fair at her uh, elementary school, so we went to that Friday night, had some food trucks, did nice. some games. That was fun. And then Saturday was Earth Day, which I was unaware of until Ashley told me, so we did uh, a couple fun things. We did a hike out in this McLeod Nature Park and everything. It was like probably a two-and-a-half-mile hike with three kids. That was actually pretty fun, though, so... Uh, good times there, and then Sunday was literally mowed the lawn and then sat on my butt all day. It was not necessarily the most spectacular weather weekend, no, right? No, it was oh, not. No. Um, I did, let's see, Saturday, funny, Mark, I didn't realize it was Earth Day either, but as the last project of one of my classes, I had to do a self-guided hike, nature hike, basically, talking about different elements of geology and nature. So I went to Mounds State Park in Anderson. Have you ever been there? It's one of my favorites. Yeah, that's where mm-hmm. um, when Colts had training camp, Conrad Brunner would post up. Really? Yeah, he would stay, he'd take us um, camper out there and would spend three weeks out there. It's, um, you know, it is fascinating. I mean, they have the mounds, which, speaking of Colts training camp, are kind of in horseshoe configuration that are you know 2300 years old from the native americans that lived in the area at the time they believe that they were gathering areas they don't think they were burial areas but the mounds are still there and then the park itself up against white river it's beautiful it's very serene and it's not a huge park but right there um and the other thing that was nice about those for the mounds if you were doing the mounds gathering 2300 years ago still within uh 800 yards of four IHOPs. So that's nice. <laughs> yeah. that's All on Scatterfield. Scatterfield's right there, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, so did that Saturday and then um, just dinner and then errands and running around yesterday and getting set for the week. Uh, good morning to you, by the way, on a Monday. My name is Jake Query. That was Kevin Bowen, whose voice you just heard, Mark Dykton as well. It is Kevin and Query here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. As Kevin had mentioned, Tom Allen, head football coach in Indiana, going to join us just over 20 minutes from now some of these nba series are actually getting pretty interesting including kevin uh golden state and sacramento I, you know steph curry did his best chris weber last night and it did not cost golden state the game but that series at two games apiece pretty interesting and then you know minnesota kind of got that last gasp to keep themselves alive against denver last yeah, night just one sweep uh in the first round and i would be our press kind of look back in past years and see just one sweep in round one and that not being from the one or the two seeds. Uh, Boston, I guess Boston is a two seed, isn't it? Um, Boston's 3-1. It was the three seed Philly that got the sweep um, over the Nets. And obviously they're dealing with Joel Embiid's injury situation ahead of the Eastern Conference semifinals. So, um, yeah, yesterday's winners, you had the Knicks go up 3-1. Golden State, uh, as Jake was saying, they continue all of the home teams winning in that series. Boston goes up 3-1, and Minnesota staves off elimination as they win in OT. Anthony Edwards 
with a big dagger there to kind of close it out late. And then tonight, you know, this is the game where all of a sudden the Bucks are kind of on the brink and Giannis is... Mike Budholzer is definitely not guaranteeing that Giannis is going to play. Um, I saw they're favored by around a handful and a half on the road, so maybe Vegas thinks Giannis is going to give it a go, but they are down 2-1 in that series. The Lakers are up 2-1. Dylan Brooks' antics um, continue to be all talk and no backing up on the floor. How about that guy, man? Yeah, I I don't... You know, this is probably biased. I felt like the Lance Stevenson stuff was more playful than the Dylan Brooks stuff. Dylan and I could be again totally uh, in market bias with this. The Dylan Brooks stuff just seems like the dude just sucks, and then he like the dude just sucks, and then he like continues to talk. He didn't even talk after the game last night or after the game on Saturday after he gets ejected from the game. Um, I felt like Lance never crossed the line to that extent. You know, I mean, he's blowing in the air and getting in LeBron's face and, you know, clapping towards the Pacers crowd. But I felt like never got it to that level. Uh, But, yeah, we'll see what happens tonight. Huge for Milwaukee as they have game four in Miami. But, Jake, I would say to your point, Kings Warriors has lived up to it so far. And I have no idea where it's going from here. 2-2, going back to Sacramento. Yeah. Golden State can't win on the road. Missed opportunity in game three with Draymond out. I mean, Harrison Barnes gets a, fittingly, a Harrison Barnes. Uh, he gets, I would say, a decent look after that possession. Looked like it was going nowhere uh, to try and win game four. Um, but that one, we thought at the start of round one would live up to it, and it certainly has. You know what the Sacramento-Golden State series reminds me of? Back in the day, as the kids say, you would always have to kind of knock and pay your dues to get past a team before you truly arrived. You know, the it took forever for the Pistons to get past the Celtics. Then it took the Bulls forever to get past the Pistons. Then, you know, no one got past the Bulls, obviously, but New York got really close and it took a second try for, well, actually a third for Indiana to get past New York. And I think for the Pacers and the Knicks in those epic Pacers-Knicks series, and then you could say Pacers in Miami in the Paul George era, you know, they never really got they never got past them, obviously. But sometimes you're going almost against just the reputation or the doubt that you belong. And for Sacramento, who went up two nothing on Golden State, you know, Golden State's the team with the with the rings, right? They've got the they got Curry that can hit from anywhere and, and Clay Thompson that can hit from anywhere and catch lightning in a bottle. And Sacramento at times looked like a team that was always kind of looking in the rearview mirror wondering when it was going to happen. So now that Golden State's caught up to them, I'm going to be curious, Kevin, to see whether or not Sacramento realizes their youth and talent, which they have a lot of both, and goes for it and knocks them out. Or do they kind of wilt under the fact of like it's like coming down 18 with Tiger Woods as the one that's lurking on you? You know, do they look at it and say, we're not ready for this moment? I think it's a, it's going to be an interesting storyline to watch. Yeah, and again, Golden State has been so poor away from home I, th- I know. this season. Obviously, their track record totally, totally is on the far end of the spectrum compared to Sacramento in these sorts of moments. Uh, but we'll see how all of that plays out again. Bucks and Lakers tonight. Just two games. Supposed to have a third one, but Philly in sweeping Brooklyn. That game is off the schedule. I know we had Chuck Pagano on Friday. I saw that Chuck Strong event raised over two million 
for cancer research to the IU Simon Cancer Center. So in the 11-year history of that, over $14 million raised for cancer research. So outstanding by the Ursay family, Chuck Pagano among others, Ron Rivera, Ray Lewis in attendance at that one. Um, pretty cool that that continues to do that on an annual basis. I saw, you know, one of the great things about that, Kevin, I saw a couple of photos, and this you see this a lot at this event over the years, but, you know, pictures of people that were with Chuck Pagano at the event that were there because they too were cancer survivors, and the two of them were taking pictures together, or, he, you know, people that were coming up to Chuck Pagano and perhaps, you know, saying, hey, your journey gave me, you know, optimism, gave me hope. And so they're getting a photo taken together. And I think there's such a remarkable thing about that because I think we as humans have an ability and just a natural tendency to see people that are in in positions of prominence or limelight and put them on a different shelf, different pedestal. And then all of a sudden something happens that unifies on the same plane everyone. And Chuck Pagano was well aware of that. You know, I think Chuck Pagano knows, hey, when he meets somebody else that's a survivor – Look, I'm not, a, I'm not a former football coach at that point. I'm just a guy who went through the same thing as you. And, and there's a bond there with those people. And I think he embraces it really well, and I think it inspires a lot of people, which is very cool. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, and again, sometimes you just see ego get in the way of these sorts of things. Um, you would like to think that that would not be the case, but unfortunately, that that can happen at times. So clearly, Jim or St. Chuck Pagano's connection... Um, Sorry, my the phone. hell was that? I, I have no idea. I clicked something on my phone and some video was playing. Sorry, some highlight, some heavy multitasking from you here early. It's what I do early in the morning. Uh, but yeah, really cool to see. And if you missed it, Chuck Pagano was on with us on Friday, so that is up on the podcast. Um, anything stand out to you from Chris Bauer on Friday, Jake? Not really. Um, you know, he was pretty. Yeah, like I say, man, I, I think the one thing about Ballard that you can say is that he's pretty upfront, I think. I mean, even when he lies, he admits he's lying. But, you know, he said something that you could you could say was smarmy when he said, man, I think you guys are almost more stressed about this than I am. You could take that as smarmy or condescending, but I didn't. I took it kind of as like, hey, man, you, sometimes you guys overthink this. We got a pick. We're going to take the guy. And I maintain, Kevin, I've said all along, um, I don't know this at all, but I felt like from the beginning they looked at it and said, we don't think that there is a player who separates themselves enough for us to separate from where we are at four to go get them. So we will be happy where we are. And I, I still maintain that's what's going to happen. Now, I may be proven wrong at the 11th hour and they make a trade and move up a spot. Stroud is the one guy that I think it, maybe they didn't think Stroud was going to be in their lap, and now maybe he he's within range. Um, but for the most part, I think he was pretty direct, don't you? Yeah, yeah I th- pretty direct in being indirect. Yeah, I thought um, I thought it was interesting when I mean we're probably midway through the press conference, and the the, the question was not even really. I think it was about like, do you monitor teams behind you that have the potential to to, to trade up? And all of a sudden, he just kind of went a little bit rogue, very unprompted, and mentioned how he found it funny that so many people have the Colts pegged to one guy right now. And 
he pretty much said that's not true. Now, again, this is Friday before the draft. You can look at it one of two ways. You can look at it and say it's smokescreen lying. He used the term dancing season. Or you can look at it and say, to your point, Jake, Chris Ballard usually provides a moment or two in a press conference where a week later he points back and is like, I told you guys. Right. And my question kind of walking out of that room, and again, I could be dead wrong on this, but my thought was, was he talking about Will Levis in that moment? Because I think if there has been a player over the last handful of days that the Colts have been most pegged to, um, it has been Levis. And again, it was very odd that Ballard would do that. Just unprompted, 10 questions into the presser, not ask specifically about any sort of rumors or anything like that. And again, you you can take that and look at it one of two ways. One, you can say... That's the ultimate smokescreen line, whatever you want to call it by him. He's trying to get people off of that thought. Or, come Thursday night, when they don't draft Will Levis, he's going to be like, I told you guys all that on Friday, that we were not necessarily tied to him. Now, again, that could be reading way too much into a pre-draft press conference from a general manager, but I did find that particularly interesting. I think it's in the Colts' best interest to keep the rest of the league guessing as to who they're looking at or where they stand, right? Even though everybody knows they're taking a quarterback for the most part, but... So then why even say that? Because I think it's in... I think it's in... I think there's a lot of gamesmanship that goes into it, Kevin. And for example, if Chris Ballard believes... And I'm not saying this is the case. I'm strictly speaking in hypotheticals. But if Chris Ballard believes that, let's say Chris Ballard believes that C.J. Stroud has bust potential, or Anthony Richardson has bust potential, it's in his best interest, though, to let Tennessee or Atlanta or Houston think that he has an interest in those players to force them to mortgage something to take those players because he feels that they're going to boom, or excuse me, bust, as opposed to boom, and thus he still gets his guy at four while seeing two of his competitors compromise themselves in a situation that he thinks is a dead-end road. How about the fact that Will Levis is now the betting favorite to go number two overall? Did you guys see that? Minus 130, right? Mm -hmm. And and I think that comes from... Is that Houston or is that a trade-up? I don't know. See, I think that comes from... Kevin, the, the and, and that is a wild line, by the way. Credit where due yeah. here. You, you're the only person, Kevin, the only person that I've heard mention this, that I've read mention this, and I think it is lock, stock, and barrel accurate when you said that C.J. Stroud's agent and his relationship or lack thereof with the Houston Texans is the 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 biggest curveball in the draft in the front four picks. You're the first person I heard say that. You're the only place I've read that. And that seems to 1,000% be lock, stock, and barrel accurate. Because for whatever reason, Houston is in no way, shape, or form expected or linked to C.J. Stroud. And I think most people would say that C.J. Stroud is the second, if not best, quarterback in the draft. Something I do want to talk to Joel Erickson about when he joins us. I know Joel has looked a little bit more into this S2 test which is seemingly the craze right now in C.J. Stroud dropping as far as he, again, I say in quotes, has. 
Um, the Whatever happened to Wonderlick? The yeah, this is like the new Wonderlick test. Um, so we'll talk with Joel about that. I know he, you know, maybe has a little bit of intel into would the Colts be a team that believes in the S2 test? How could that impact some CJ Stroud things? So we'll do that coming up around 8 o'clock. But a couple other Chris Ballard items that we can get to as well from Friday. Not necessarily all draft related. I do think there we are some should, positions of we need. We should take the Wonderlick. That he, um, I did take it once. What'd you get? I think I did okay. Highest Wonderlick in NFL history. Would you like to guess? Uh, it's, is it um, Ryan Fitzpatrick? No. Fitzpatrick. I thought it was Fitzpatrick uh, and like Greg McElroy. Fitzpatrick got a 48. Highest score ever, Ryan McAnally. Oh. Hunter, drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals. Household name. Got a 50. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I mean. Like. Uh, Tom Allen, he's going to join us here in about 10 minutes. Kevin and Quarry on a Monday. Okay, Kevin, we got to do the check down quickly because Tom Allen's waiting, and I'm heard he's relentless when he's waiting to do an interview. So here we go. Uh, yesterday, Major League Baseball, the Reds did not win. Pittsburgh beat them 2-0, but the Cubs didn't either. They lost to the Dodgers by a final of 7-3. Padres over the Diamondbacks. Mark's Diamondbacks 7-5, but the Orioles, cute fella, did win 2-1 over the Tigers in our battle for PBR. You were on the short end with the Rangers beating the A's 5-2. Cardinals did beat the Mariners 7-3. Indianapolis Indians 4 over Memphis. Philadelphia 76ers, the only sweep so far in round one. Knicks, Warriors, Celtics, T-Wolves win yesterday. Tonight, the Bucks trying to even up at 2-2 with the Heat, and the Lakers trying to go up 3-1 over the Grizzlies. Tom Allen is next. All right, no need for coffee on this Monday morning. Heading into his eighth season in Bloomington, the head coach of the Hoosiers, Tom Allen, joins us right now. Coach, good Monday morning to you. Good morning, my man. How you doing, buddy? We are great. Uh, appreciate the time. It sounds like we're going to have a little QB competition, maybe extended into the summer. Yes, we are. Been a really good spring. Guys are busting their tails, working hard. Uh, both quarterbacks uh, uh, have been uh, doing some great work, but uh, the summer's going to be huge. The preparation process continues and into fall camp, so we'll uh, we don't know what start at this time. Coach, we always hear it's kind of a cliche, but I think there's a lot of truth to it that. You know, this is the time of year when when championship level teams are really built, or just in general when you kind of find out who your team is. What sort of things, as a head coach, do you look for in the off season, and what sort of areas can a team come together that maybe people would not be aware of when they're not actually playing games? You know, I, I think it's the player led piece. You know, it's the the leadership that shows up, you know, in the workouts when, you know, as we say, it's the dirty hard work in the dark, you know, that nobody sees, you know, the early morning workouts, uh, even the spring practices when no one's there, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and March and April, um, who's willing to, to do a great job on the days when you don't have to do things and, and guys voluntarily organize their teammates uh, to come together uh, and, and do great things and, and do the little things that it takes to to prepare and, and build your, you know, as we call it, the, the, the confidence that you rely on, that you depend on in those critical situations, that's built this time of year, you know, and those the, the players on your team, you know, oftentimes we can't be with them in parts of the summer and parts in the spring and even on the weekends and things they do additional and extra, even in the summertime when they have the ball out to throw it, they, they can only be there themselves, not us. So a lot of leadership is built. So we put a lot into that and it tells you a lot about your team. When you have players, Tom Allen's our guest on the Payless Hotline, the head football coach at Indiana. 
when you and when I say you coach I mean Tom Allen you know whatever school whatever coach we're talking about here just generically speaking but you always want athletes and I know that I mean I, I totally understand that you are trying to recruit athletes but at the same time sometimes kids that are overly athletic it doesn't mean that that sport is their first love and the game is not yet instinctive to them and just having the ability and the moment and the heat of it to to make the right decision or to to approach the right way isn't instinctive how do you how do you grow or coach instinct well, I, I do think that's challenging, without question. Uh, I do think you have to put your guys in competitive situations as much as possible. That's why in the recruiting process, it's critical to find this out. Uh, we call it competitive greatness, and I think it's found through seeing guys play other sports, uh, being in situations where they got to compete, you know, and, and find a way in tough spots of when there's pressure put on them. You know, it's three and two. You know, they're playing baseball. you got a full count. It's uh, bottom of the ninth, two outs, runner on third. you got to – Got to find a way to get him in, you know, taking a free throw shot with little time left or, you know, just whatever it is, you know, to be able to put in those situations. And then when you have them on your team, you have to try and put and, and put them under stress and put them in a situation where they have to dig down deep and find a way to make a play when, when things are stacked against them. So uh, I do think that is hard to try to f- figure out sometimes in the recruiting process, but you're right. You want to have a, a really talented football player that has that something special about them that allows them to be at their best when it counts the most. And he's Tom Allen. He's with us here on this Monday morning on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Coach, as you kind of evaluated things this offseason, what would you point to as areas that have to improve to kind of get back to where you guys were at as a program in 2019 and 2020? Well, a big focus we did was a fourth quarter study. You know, we had eight games where we uh, they were you know, one-score games. Uh, we were ahead or behind within a score to start the fourth quarter, and they decided the game. And so finishing those games out are, is going to be critical. We did not finish five of those eight out and uh, did not have the season that we wanted. And you just think about a couple of those uh, change around, and it changes everything for you and your program. So to me, it's about the execution in those critical times. It's run the football in those situations. We, we, uh, we have to improve that. We have to stop the run of the situations. As a defense, we've got to do a better job of playing complementary football in those situations where all three phases have to work together. When we did that, we got the outcome we wanted. When we didn't, we did not get the outcome. So uh, that's been the focus, and it's about building the toughness of our team, the mental and physical toughness to finish in those games, we know they're going to be close. We've had a bunch of close games since I've been here. That's not going to change. We're going to play a very difficult schedule every season, one of the most difficult in the country. We've got to find a way to finish. Speaking of that schedule, it'll be September 2nd in Bloomington. Ohio State will come to town. Do you like the fact that Ohio State is the opener? I do. You know, when you think about opening with that type of an opponent, uh, the urgency that it creates in your whole offseason – it is is uh, is awesome, you know, and you can't fabricate that if it's not that type of an opponent. We've had several of these types of games since I've been here. This is the fifth time since I've been here. We've opened the season against the Big Ten team. That's unprecedented in our program's history. But you know what? Uh, that's something you – know, I have no control over that. But at the same time, I do like the the uh, the way that it causes your players to be able to – to have a sense of urgency from the very beginning. And we got three more months here before we start fall camp. And every every single day, every single month here is going to be critical. Coach, in your time since becoming the head coach at Indiana, how would you say that as a coach, whether it be X's and O's or just off-field preparation, how have you grown or changed as a coach? I would say there's two big areas would just be trying to become a better head coach of the team, you know, in different situations to be able to, uh, you know, 
have opportunities within my schedule to build relationships with our players and, and the importance of that, the relationship with our coaches and being able to coach them and help them grow professionally. Uh, I, I think managing the game, going through that process of, of learning that and going through and, man, you know, just maximizing even the, the, the way that we evaluate ourselves and the way we communicate during games to be able to put ourselves in the best position, you know, at those uh, critical situations, you have to make those decisions. And so I just think you continue to learn and grow and still, still a process you go through without question, because it means about managing people, leading individuals to be able to maximize them both as players and as coaches. You know, for me, when I think about it, Tom Allen's our guest. He's on the Payless Sugars hotline. When I think about when I was a young person in college, coach, I'm the first to admit, you know, I had the attention span of a gnat, right? Like things held my interest for like two weeks and then I was on to the next thing. And when I when I think about, you know, your energy level is obviously almost unprecedented within the Big Ten. And I think that's necessary in coaching college athletics. I also at times get concerned that that's difficult to hold on to for a player for four years. Is that a fair assessment and does it require for you adjustment? Well, I would say this, you know, you know, when you think about our games, we have to play at a fever pitch every time we take the field. And that, that to me, is hard to do for a young man. You, you study the, the – they call it emotional response that you have, you know, psychologically within yourself as a person, as a player, as a young person. And so I think, yeah, you do have to manage that part um, in regards to uh, the way you um, approach things and, and get after things. And for me, you know, there's no question, you know, I think in terms of um, just how you even, you know – handle yourself during a game and to be able to weather the ebbs and flows and ups and downs. And I think that's something that without question I've tried to, to work on. But I also believe that there's a certain energy you have to have to recruit in this conference, the way you, the energy you have to have to do the things you have to do every single day and all the things that are uh, required of you as a coach and, and as you, you know, your, your players take on your personalities as well, which I think is, is something that does happen. So, yeah, I think there's no question. You know, it, it is not a, a sprint, uh, you know, each and every day. Uh, but at the same time, you have to have that energy to be able to go and, and, and bring it out of our guys. And so, but I think for sure, you know, when you think about what we require of our guys year round, uh, and that's why we've kind of even built in some more time to try and get our guys away uh, from us, because I think that's important to be able to have that mental and physical break uh, because we train year round now, you know, and that hasn't, wasn't the case in the past. And, and now we're doing things in, in June more than we've ever done in the past with our players and, the OTA type situations that the NCAA has given us now. So I think because of that, yeah, you need to be able to create some time away. You can have a, a better balance maybe in some way. So when you are back, when you are doing things with your team, you have a lot of energy and you have an excitement towards what's next. You know, there's a symbiotic relationship, Coach, between individual success and then team success. And then, of course, perhaps the team success leading to individual success elsewhere. The reality is your job is to build the best football team you can for Indiana University. And at the same time, you have players now that are testing the waters or that have graduated that are going through the process with the NFL draft. So you want those players to have individual success, but at the same time, during the time that they're at Indiana, their job is to be the best football player for Indiana, not necessarily for the NFL. And you might have guys that have one eye on one and not the other. That's got to be difficult, I would imagine. But just give me your overall reaction. Um, You know, the players that you have that have draft potential, which do you think would be the best football player for a professional franchise to look at? And who are you the most excited for? 
Well, and you are correct, and I and I think that's the, the beauty of what we do as coaches, especially in the sport of football. Such a great team sport involves so many people, and so the big thing that we want to our guys to know is, hey, when when the team does well, and you buy into the team, no matter what the current circumstances are in college football, that when that team does well, the individuals get recognized, and so that's that's what happens. And we've had several of those guys on this team that've been here for many years, and. And kind of top of that list is Cam Jones, who became, you know, our unquestioned leader this past season and just developed and grown so much as a player. Came here when he was first committed to us, was a wide receiver. Then we, then we first played him when he first got here at, at our Husky position, which is kind of a hybrid outside linebacker safety spot, and then moved him into the, into the box and played him in the, at the weak side backer spot. But I do think he's, from being at the Combine to the to the Senior Bowl to different things, he's grown through. He has the highest chance of being drafted, the highest, and, and a lot of communication with those teams. So, Tremendous future for him. Great leader, great player. Excited for him and and Taiwan Mullen and, J- and Jalen Williams and Devon Matthews, three guys in our secondary that have a lot, play a lot of football here. Done some great things for us. Think they have a great shot to be able to be a great asset to an NFL team. And you got Luke Haggard and DJ Matthews and Sean Shivers as well on offense. The guys that that have been uh, evaluated, been in All Star games this off season, have teams come through here and evaluate them. So several guys out off this past year that've been here for several years and. Just proud of them and excited for what the future has for them. Again, Tom Allen is with us heading into year eight at the helm of the Indiana Hoosiers. Um, Coach, we had Ryan Walters on last week, and I know you know it's obviously a lot different when a guy's taking over a program for his first year versus where you're at at this point in your tenure. But he was mentioning with us, after spring practice, they will look to find, I think he said, eight to nine guys in the transfer portal. How active will you try to be now in the portal here post-spring? Well, there's a 15-day window that we're in right now, and so we're being, you know, I would say very active, not a big number for us. You know, we, we've gotten most of our spots filled, but you're just trying to go through and, and just fill in a few key spots that you have remaining and, and trying to evaluate who can come in and be the best fit for you to give you what you need. And sometimes it might be, a, you know, certain depth of the position or maybe a guy to come in and be a compete to start at a certain position based on what you saw. I think the spring gives you a good feeling for where you are, you know, in regards to that. And so bottom line is, that, yeah, it's now the new part of this, this uh, you know, system that we go through in regards to our evaluation and the recruiting calendar that we have now is a new 15-day window that we're in right now, and, and we'll bring some players in. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy how it's changed very, very efficiently in the last couple of years, but this is what it is now. I don't see it going back, and it's kind of a constant evaluation of your roster, constant competition, guys seeing where they are, and sometimes guys decide that they want to have a chance to play more maybe somewhere else. Will the offensive line be something that you look at? Yes, it will be, and just trying to you – know, you have so many – you know, have, every position has a certain number that you target to have on your team on scholarship. And so there's a, a spot there we're looking to fill, and then we got just different spots. It's more some in, individual spots at certain areas, but uh, always want to be able to increase that area. Those, those guys have worked hard, and Coach Bose said, their new offensive line coach, and, and really excited about what he's done this spring, but it's got to continue throughout the summer and into fall camp. So, yeah, line for sure. Coach, I'll end with this, and, and I hope this makes sense the way I'm asking this. When you have different quarterbacks that play a different style – and you are having to select which one is your guy you're going to go with. Is it a matter of determining which style you want to run and then going with the quarterback that pl- that plays that way? Or is it a matter of the guy that runs his particular style with the most efficiency versus the other guys and the style that they run and how well they run it? Does that make sense what I'm asking? Because 
it does seem like you have a couple of options in terms of the way you want to play offensively. Yeah, there, there's no question. I think at different positions, you know, you'd like to be able to have some 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 variableness to that position where a guy, they're not just everyone's identical, you know, and I think you look at the running back room, receiver room, you kind of say the same thing, even tight ends. And so when you think about offensive skill positions and quarterback is similar, but at the same time, you have an overall system that you want to run. And for me, I feel like we have a, a group of guys that all have the ability to throw it and run it. And that to me is a key component to this. And so, but the, the, the passing piece is a premium you got to be able to throw the football. We, get, we know that. But, boy, you know, establishing that run game is critical. So, to me, I think we have a room of guys for the first time, you know, in a while that all have the ability to do both, which is important. And so now you're just trying to find the best one. And you will tweak it to, and adjust it to their strength without question because you want them to be able to maximize what they have. But like I said, we feel like we have a room of guys that can do both of those things. And then based on who that person is, and you'll adjust accordingly to their skill set and, and the, the, to be able to allow them to be able to maximize that on game day. Now, Coach, when is your birthday, by the way? March 14th. So on March 14th, when you uh, – this past March 14th. Birthday. That's your brother's birthday? Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. When, when, you, when the, the cake is in front of you and everybody's singing and the candles are burning and you've got to make your wish, uh, do you always wish, just give me one year with, the, the, with a healthy quarterback the whole year? Like just oh, once, goodness. right? Yeah, I mean, just, just once. Please. I agree. It's been a challenge for us, and, <laughs> and it makes a big difference. There's no doubt about it. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's a birthday wish for sure. <laughs> Coach, last, last one. Uh, I know how you're going to end this interview. You're going to throw out the acronym of LEO. Yeah. How – I know you've been asked this. How and where did that begin? You know, just over time as a coach, coach at the high school level, college level, all different levels within those two uh, areas, you know, small – colleges, small high schools and big high schools and, and, you know, in the power five of the SEC and the Big Ten. And here's what I found out. The the best teams that I was a part of loved each other. The best teams cared about each other. The best teams I was a part of had a strong connection. And those players knew and they had a strong bond to each other and to their coaches. So to me, that's where it came from. Also, man of faith and, you know, it came from Scripture, John 15, 12. But just being able to, to make it bigger than football as well, that when they know that you care about it way beyond the game, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a game changer. And I think love's a great motivator. It's a powerful thing that I, I know our guys believe in. But it's about accountability. And that's the part that people miss a little bit. It's accountability and toughness that is kind of wrapped up in that phrase of LEO. Because when they know you care about them, and you have a, you've earned the right to push them, to drive them to become great in this life. I can feel the sweat dripping down my neck after that. Coach, terrific stuff. Thank you for joining us here on this Monday morning. And uh, good luck this fall. Awesome, buddy. Have a great day. LEO. Tom Allen right there. Elio, love each other. I had no idea where that uh, originated. That's like the Russell Wilson, you know. Um, what, what is it now about Bronco country? Used to do with the Seahawks. That's right. That's right. Do you know what Russell Wilson says when he does his Monday Night Football intro? Have you ever thought about what you'd say for your Monday Night Football intro? He goes with Wisconsin, right? Not NC State. Do you know that answer, Mark? I don't know. He says, Russell Wilson, a whole pack of Badgers. That's what it is. What would you say, Mark? I have no idea. Kevin, what would you say? Gosh, that's a great question. I, I'd probably dabble a little bit in like the shout-out for the high school as well. That's what um, <clears throat> Derek Mays, who was a year below me, Notre Dame guy, uh, I remember he, one time when I was watching and he did say, North Central High School, which is probably what I'd say. Hail our Panthers? Hail our Panthers. Um, I know last night IU football Twitter... Um, 
the name Samson James was kind of rampant there. Tom Allen cannot comment anything on the Samson James front, but there are some whispers, Jake, that quite the route could be heading back to Bloomington. Well, he can't, and Indiana can't officially comment until he's officially enrolled. Yeah, and and I'm not uh, been told that maybe this is not like on scholarship. Could be maybe a walk-on situation here, but... How many players do you think ever have gone Bloomington to Purdue, back to Bloomington? That would be the route for Samson James. I didn't realize this. He's last played a college football game in January 2021. The bowl game against Mississippi. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm a kid that went to three schools in like two years, so who am I to talk, right? Don't see too many uh, IU-Purdue back-to-IU transfers there. Uh, Brandon Sorsby, Taven Jackson, the QB competition. I, I'm assuming it will be Taven Jackson this fall. See the brother of Trace transferring in from Tennessee. Uh, but quite Pretty the first game. Quite the first game uh, awaiting as it'll be Ohio State. Granted, a new quarterback for the Buckeyes in Bloomington. So thank you to Tom Allen there. We're going to have uh, Joel A. Erickson join us in a few. You know, he, he mentioned close games, Jake. You know, they, they obviously have been in their fair share of them and have not been able to finish. I just think they lack so they have lacked so much stability and consistency offensively. And you brought up the quarterback injuries. Certainly that's played into it. This past season, that was one of the worst offensive line performances I've seen. Well you also just it no question about that. I mean horrid. No question. And you know when it comes to quarterback, sometimes you just gotta ride with one, right? I mean what is the old saying? Like if you have if you have more than one quarterback, you have none. I mean, you've got to – sometimes you just got to stay with a stability of one guy and ride it out. When you start changing and going quarterback by committee, it becomes real tough. And, and Indiana's had to do that for health purposes. I mean, it's not by design. They've done that by a health – out of necessity because you never know who's healthy from one game to the next, quite frankly. But I do think that – Davis is a really good player. I mean, a four-star recruit, went to Tennessee, top 200 player coming out of high school. I think he was the 13th highest-rated quarterback, and he was dynamic at Center Grove. And if he's healthy and and can get the push in of, like, you are our guy and that's what we're going with, I think I, I think Indiana football just needs stability. They just need stability from, from one week to the next. They had it in the COVID year when they went to the Gator Bowl, um, you know, and – and played Ole Miss, and man, they were close. I mean, yeah, I've mentioned this prior, and I feel like it's interesting that Purdue and Indiana both have defensive head coaches, defensive minded head coaches, because, you know, when you saw the success that Indiana had with Tom Allen, you know, Kalen DeBoer as the offensive coordinator, they find good success there. He leaves, he goes to Fresno, and then it seems like since then, you have just been climbing a steep mountain to try and get back to that offensive. You know, production, stability, whatever you want to call it, and look where Kalen DeBoer is right now. I mean, he's at Washington, one of the hot names, and obviously Michael Penix transferred there and all of it. I feel like when you're at programs like a Purdue, like an Indiana, where you are middle of the pack at best in the Big Ten, certainly Purdue's been a little bit higher here as of late, you, to me, that offensive side of the ball, it's very similar to how the NFL is, is operating now. I'd rather have that figured out because that, to me... If the head coach has that figured out, the head coach is going to stay here. If the coordinators find success, they're going to leave. And I think it's harder to replace offensively than it is defensively. You know what I think IU needs to do? They need to just stick with one helmet. And I'm biased because I... Ooh, I, I like mean, some of the variety. 
I love, and again, we are by nature nostalgic. I love the the true, like crimson, so the dark red, just block letter I. The Bill Mallory, Anthony Thompson era football helmets. Love them. What about like the oval look with no. the I and the no, U? No, 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 no. I know that's the Randall L era, but the yeah. Cam Cameron era, no. I kind of like that look. No, no. I like the matte black around it. Just the just the maroon block eye. 1984. Now, I don't want to go with the Sam White's cream streaking U. That was not good. I don't want to go with the, the softer red Lee Corso breaking away era. Just the maroon Bill Mallory, Anthony Thompson over the top, 28-0 IU up on Ohio State. There you go. Go with that helmet. See Cutters get it done again this weekend? I did see Cutters got it done again Little this weekend. Little five. Dynasty continues. <laughs> Uh, Joel A. Erickson, talk Colts draft. Chris Bowers, comments from Friday. We'll do that on the other side. It is 8 o'clock in Indianapolis. Technically, it is 8.01 in Indianapolis on a great-looking Monday morning to you. Good morning to you, Jake Quarry, along with Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton here as well. If you're just joining us, where have you been? Uh, we talked a little NBA earlier and the Colts' upcoming NFL draft. Tom Allen, the head football coach at Indiana, just joined us for a lengthy conversation about the Hoosier spring practice and their potential draft picks as well and what they have meant to the program that will be up on the podcast later but Kevin back to talking a little more about what may or may not take place over on 56th Street on Thursday Thursday night round one of the NFL draft two and three on Friday and then four through seven on Saturday he'll be a busy man all week long and he joins us right now from the star Joel A. Erickson Joel good Monday morning to you yeah, good morning. Good morning. Big week. Big week for, for all of us. Yes, amen to that. Hallelujah. We'll finally get some answers on things. Joel, I want to begin with a Chris Ballard clip from Friday. And, you know, it's a Friday noon press conference. It's the pre-draft presser. Just think naturally things kind of get lost in the shuffle. But I'm going to have Mark play this clip from Ballard on Friday. I thought when it happened during the press conference, the fact that it was rather unprompted was also interesting to me. And... um We'll play this clip, and then I'll have you react to it. This is the main assumption right now, that we have targeted one guy to go get. I don't, I don't know if that's an accurate assumption. Um, matter of fact, I'd, I'd say it's not. And so I think you got to wait till draft. You can't, like before the fact, you got to wait till draft day and see how things unfold and then be able to react accordingly. Joel, was that uh, in reference to Will Levis? If yeah, I I think it could be because that that seems to be the the consensus that people are talking about now um, in terms of like the national guys and who they're predicting is that the Colts the Colts like Will Levis. There's also a part of that answer that makes me wonder. He said, you know, there's one guy that we're targeting to go get. If you put that in conjunction with some of the other stuff he said about not knowing how this draft is going to go, uh, and then the the sort of. Um, uncertainty surrounding the Texans pick, which which depending on who you talk to feels like it might be tipping towards more certainty that they don't want a quarterback, then you know, does that mean that does that mean that he's he's saying we don't have one guy targeted because someone's going to somebody else is going to be available that maybe you haven't thought is available for two months? Um that that was the other thing I thought about thought while while listening to that clip was you know, we we've Maybe we've assumed that some that two people are going to be off the board, and that's not the way it's going to work. And then, of course, he just could be lying. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, my my thought is this. My thought is uh, I'm going to 
I'm going to dig my heels in even even deeper, and I want you guys to tell me if you think I'm totally out of my mind, at least on this topic. Um, I maintain, I think Chris Ballard, Joel, from the very beginning, looked at these four quarterbacks and said, I don't feel that the difference between these four is a great enough chasm to mortgage what I already have in the hand to move up to get any of them because I think there is a negligible difference two to four and so therefore I am safe just staying at four and and having my pick of either one or two of them or maybe even three of them that remain when I'm selecting at four and I'm happy with whichever of those three that I end up with your thoughts well he did say at the owners meetings I asked him point blank if uh you know, because we were talking about why they didn't trade up for number one. He said they didn't feel comfortable with making the move at that time. They didn't feel like anybody was so far ahead, and because they wanted to go through the rest of the process. And when I asked him, "Well, are you worried that you're going to get through the process and realize that there was one guy you should have moved up for, um, and didn't, and, and now you can't because the Panthers are already up there?" And his answer to that was, "We think this is a pretty deep quarterback class." Um, so that, that plays into what you're saying there. I, I find it a little bit – I think that there's probably a decent pecking order. There's got to be some kind of pecking order. If it, like By now, after they've talked to all three of them and putting all this work on all three of them, I would think that, that Steichen's information would probably push uh, one of those guys at least a little bit over. Now, how big that difference is, maybe – I think it's possible that you have it. I, I don't know that, that, you, that you have it pegged. I, I don't know that – I just keep thinking if if you're grading all these quarterbacks as different as they all are, depending on what what you have, surely somebody's got to come out over the top. I I could be wrong. Joel, as we sit here on Monday morning, Joel A. Erickson from the Star with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Will Levis is the clear favorite to go number two overall, according to Vegas. And C.J. Stroud right now is the fourth most likely guy to go number two overall. A lot of this chatter is stemming from reported S2 scores that C.J. Stroud did very poorly on. Again, this is all reported. Um, for those unfamiliar with the S2, can you explain um, as best you can just kind of what this is all about? Is this the new Wonderlick? And if you have any thoughts on how the Colts might view this particular test? Yeah, so, so the S2, it's, there's been a, there's, this test has been around now for, um, I think I first heard about it in 18. I didn't know it was called the S2 at the time, but there's, there's been talk that there's a new um you know, mental test that, that that's been developed, and what it, it measures, it doesn't measure intelligence. It doesn't matter uh, measure like book learning and that kind of thing. It it's it measures reaction time. It's got this special pad that can measure reactions up to two millimeters of a second or something like that. Something I'm probably getting the, the measurements wrong, but like it's it's this super fast thing. Baseball players. It, it, baseball players use it too because you know baseball obviously a lot of it is pitch recognition and figuring out in a very small amount of time where that ball is going and where it's going to be and what it's what it's going to do when it does that um but there's there's nine different things that they test them on and it's all designed in reaction time and being able to pick things out so like i know one of the things that they do is like you'll have a screen full of red of small red shapes and it measures how fast you find the one red triangle in it. Um, it's it's de- so it's designed for quick reaction. It's designed for picking things out. 
I know they also have a way to measure how many objects you can track at one time among a crowded field. Um, so, like, say, like the normal person can, can track three different things at one time among a crowded field. Uh, apparently, professional athletes can, like, some of the best ones can do, like, six, which, uh, as a parent of three children, I wish I had that <laughs> um, <laughs> for, for, like, the Indiana State Fair and some of the other stuff. Uh, but but it's supposed to it's supposed to test better the stuff that a quarterback actually has to do on the field because I think we all know by now that um, you can prepare and learn and know the offense really really well but there is an element of you have to be able to do it in real time on the field that some guys are just better at and th- that's what this test purports to get at so PJ Stroud has been reportedly has reported been reported to have low scores on by multiple people. Um, I know Tom Pelissero, Bob McGinn uh, have both reported that. And the interesting thing was in McGinn's story, I read McGinn's story, and he, he quoted some executives saying, you can do well on the S2 cognition test and not be great. Like, they've had misses like that. But they haven't had anybody be bad on the S2 cognition and then play much better than that, play well. So that's that's the interesting piece. Now it's, it's still a it's still a relatively newish test. I think we're talking about like seven or eight eight years. And only half the so, league, right, is all all in on it. Uh, yeah, I think sixteen of the thirty two teams is what the reported number is that use it. I asked uh, Chris Ballard about this at the combine after he was done talking, and uh, he kind of. Chris usually answers something, <laughs> and he didn't really answer anything. I think I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was sort of a, I don't want to get into that. Um, and I don't know if that was a, I don't want to get into that because we don't use it, or if I don't want to get into that because he likes it and doesn't just doesn't want to um, get into proprietary information since not all the teams use it. But it's it's a relatively it's a relatively new thing. But there are teams that I know from experience. Not not speaking about the Colts, there there are other teams that have have like put quarterbacks up as test cases and they they're the test performed well for them but isn't there always something call me a cynic here that there's always something that like is the new hot thing and it's like oh no this is huge like teams really invest in it and then once everybody is in on it then it's like yeah we don't, we don't actually pay that much attention to that i mean the wonder like for example peyton manning got a 28 and ryan fitzpatrick got a 48 you know, I mean, Tom Brady got a 30 and Blaine Gabbert got a 44. And it's like, well, maybe. And then there, are, it seems like there are always metrics that for the first couple of years that they are introduced, it is assumed that everybody's all in. And then after like a couple of years, we're on to the next fad. Am I being too cynical here, Joel? Um, not necessarily. I mean, if if there's exceptions to that rule, uh, again, this is still a fairly new thing. So if there become exceptions to that rule where somebody scores low and plays over that, and that those that starts happening a lot, then I think teams will, would would push it down some. But um, they're 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 also always looking for a way. They're also always looking for a way to figure out how to quantify this thing about quarterbacks that you know famously they're, they're impossible to pick. About one in three in the first round over the last 20 years or whatever um, have actually turned into franchise-type quarterbacks. And that covers a wide range of different styles, different 
types of players, different sizes. There's just a whole bunch of different things there. And um, the NFL has been trying, like, they, obviously, they've been trying to figure out a way to predict better uh, how a quarterback is going to play once he's in there. And, and to me, I, I think that regardless of whether or not this test measures it correctly, I think the thing that probably is the link between like guys like Drew Brees and Patrick Mahomes, who to me have almost completely different skill sets other than the fact that they're both good athletes, is that they have the processing ability in real time and they, they know the right move to make in real time at, at speed. And that, that's how you account for somebody who doesn't have a strong arm and someone who does have a strong arm. Uh, and that they're, they're trying to find a way to measure that. They've been trying to find a way to measure that for as long as they've been drafting quarterbacks. Joel, I want to read you a quote. I want you to give me your assessment of it. Joel Erickson from the Indianapolis Stars, our guest on the Payless Sickers Hotline. This from Chris Ballard, quote, talking to the media. I think you all feel the pressure more than I do sometimes, end quote. Is that, well, just your overall reaction? Um, well, I, I okay. I do think that there's probably... Well, I think the way the offseason gone is probably probably backs that up. If if you if he was a GM who felt the pressure that that's been talked about in some circles or that that's been bandied about about the possibility of like he has to he has to win this year to save his job. I, I mean, if he was feeling that pressure, I would have signed more than in free agency than I did. Um, and I think the other thing is that we don't have all of the information that they have. And so we end up talking through a bunch of different scenarios and all the talk and all the change and everything kind of heightens the pressure. Um, plus I, I just, I think that, that if you're in the media and you're talking about it all the time, you're a little bit less insulated from, from the outside world. If you're, if you're grinding on tape and in scouting meetings all the time and you're not necessarily other than like, I know, you know, Chris's kids are going to, uh, you know, they're, they're playing sports and stuff like that. And I'm sure he's out in the community and, and same thing for Psyche, but they, they work a lot in that building. And so they're, they're talking to people who are also making a decision with them. I, I do think that probably the pressure feels heightened outside to him as far as him feeling it. I will say this. He also said at the owners meetings that anytime you don't have a franchise quarterback, you feel the pressure to get one. So it's not like he doesn't feel any pressure, but I do think that it, may, it might not be quite the same fervor that it is outside the building, just because it's what they're doing every day. It's sort of the same thing as, well, really any profession. There's a difference between thinking what the job is and knowing what the job is. Joel A. Erickson is with us here from the Indianapolis Star. Joel, I do want to shift away from quarterback. Um Let's go to Friday night. Right now, they're picking at 35, and I think the other one's at 80 or 79, something like that, in round three. What position on Friday night would make you scratch your head? Like, oh, wow, I didn't see that coming. Running back. <laughs> Is that the only one? Um, would linebacker make you all of a sudden say, oh, boy, Shaquille Leonard? Line- Linebacker is the second one. Run, running back and linebacker are probably the two that if, if they did those. Um, just because, and with with running back, it's kind, of, it's kind of the same argument for both of them. It's not just who they have on the roster, but just they've, they've been successful at finding guys um, to fill the spots that they would need to fill on this roster further down in the draft. Yeah, so especially linebacker. 
Yeah, 35 would surprise me. You know, you have Taylor, so if you're drafting a running back, you're drafting a backup. Well, they, I mean, they got Jordan Wilkins and Naheem Hines in the fourth round. You know, like, you don't need to take one that high. Um, so both of those kind of fit in the same thing. But linebacker, for sure. I mean, Chris Ballard can draft linebackers. I mean, they, he's, he's had misses at other positions, but he can, he can find a linebacker that they can develop into something. So um, those would be the two spots that would surprise me. I think the, the spot that wouldn't maybe surprise me the least, I, I'm sort of expecting corner at 35 KB. Yeah, speaking of corner, do, do they need two corners or do they need two offensive linemen? What do they need more of? A pair of corners or a pair of offensive linemen? Both. <laughs> I think maybe both. Um, you know, they lost 1,500 snaps at cornerback with uh, Gilmore and Faison. Gilmore obviously being the much more important one of those two. Um, but, the, you know, the 450 snaps that Brandon Faison took, that's that's also not insignificant. Um, and, and so, they, you know, they, they've... Ballard mentioned at the owners' meetings, he mentioned Dallas Flowers and Isaiah Rogers, and they've got Kenny Moore. That's still three. You need five. You need five to play. Um, and Flowers, for all of his gifts, he's still got to put that together, you know, as an undrafted free agent, which um, – so I, I would think you need two corners. And then the other thing, the offensive line, that they haven't really added anything there yet. And, um, you know – Depth-wise, number one, you probably – I think the Colts believe in Bernard Ryman as a starting left tackle, uh, or at least they're, they're willing to, to see where that goes this season. Uh, at right guard, I think you can make the case that they need to, they probably need a new starter or someone who can compete for that starting job. But then beyond that, you know, you, you need depth, too. You need, you need depth pieces beyond that because they're not going to play five all season, and your depth pieces were bad last year. So – yeah, I think they need two, maybe three there, uh, not in necessarily in the draft, but they've got to get somebody in free agency. I think the lack of moves, the lack of any kind of move at those two positions has been surprising this offseason. I've wondered this, Joel, is this draft, and maybe not in the first day or two, but did they throw us a curveball and show that maybe the Colts have decided it's time to reinvent themselves at the tight end position? I think they have... I think Kylan Granson has shown some flash. I think they like Mo Ali Cox's size. But when you look at field stretching players across its copycat league, they don't have playmakers at tight end. And if one's out there, I think he's going to be tempted. Your thoughts? Uh, he said he thought the tight end class was the best in that he's ever seen in the NFL the other day. Yeah, he was gushing about uh, that. Yeah, he was gushing about the tight end class. And I, KB and I actually had this conversation in the room after he left. Like, if there's a tight end out there, don't you take him? I will say this, though, Jake. I think because of the presence of Jelani Woods and the potential that we saw from him last year, I think like his ceiling out of the, the guys that they have at, at either receiver or tight end, like what he can do as, as a field stretcher and getting down the field, if, if, if given the chances – I think he's. I think. I think there's a lot there. So I almost think that if if the guy's going to be a guy, it would be more of an all around type to go with him to do some of the some of the blocking stuff that maybe kept him off the field last year, and maybe he moves to more of an F tight end, more of a receiving tight end, and you you try to go with somebody who can be more of the all around Jack Doyle type. Now it's a little hard without knowing the offense what Shane Sykin wants out of the tight end position, but I, I thought that maybe. If you were going to go tight end, you'd go a little bit more all around. 
Joel, we'll, we'll end with this, and thank you for the time. Um, it's probably only or more so for my curiosity than anything, but let's say, for example, we get to like Wednesday evening, and for some reason, we know that it's going to be Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, and Will Anderson in some order as the first three picks. How many people do you think inside the Colts building will know exactly what they plan to do then on Thursday night? Like, is this just a Chris Ballard, Shane Sykin thing? Is Jim Irsay there? Is Ed Dodds there? Like, how tight-lipped do you think this is? I think it's probably... The the list you mentioned is good. I think there might be a couple extra that would have some idea. Like a Morocco Um, Brown or Jim Bob Cooter, maybe? Yeah, Morocco Brown... You know, Jamie Moore, like some of the some of the other scouting types would have an idea, uh, but I do think it. I do think it's very very close to the best. I, if you if you want uh, a, an inclination of what people know about the Colts, go read uh, Albert Breer's post uh, that he put up for for uh, the Monday Morning Quarterback today, and it, his his Colts entry. He was all over the board, wasn't he? Yes, his Colts entry is all over the board, and I think it, I think there might even be a sentence that essentially says we don't know. That's that's how the Colts like to operate with with everything, really. But uh, and they're pretty good at it. That's the other thing is I've I've covered I've covered teams that that pretended that they wanted to be uh, good about keeping people from knowing stuff, and they weren't. The Colts <laughs> are actually pretty good at keeping national people from figuring out where they're headed. Yeah, this was Breer's comments. Um, four days out, few believe the Colts will look anywhere else at number four than QB. Um, which QB that they'll take is Mercure. Levis has had a rough pre-draft process, but I've heard his name linked to the Colts over and over, and I heard he made a very positive impression with the Manning brothers at their passing academy, and obviously Jim Mercer still listens to Peyton. Then there are rumblings that the traits-happy Chris Ballard is intrigued by Richardson, while assistant GM Ed Dodds likes C.J. Stroud, who's seen as the best fit for Shane Steichen's offense. Yeah, so there's there's a piece. This is, this is a little bit inside baseball, but I think it's good here. If you listen to like the way Beer wrote that, all of it sounds like his sources on the Colts are not within the Colts building. It's what people around the league believe about about what the Colts or are people do. that used to be around the Colts building and aren't anymore, right? Yeah, it's it, like he even has that. He even has that in the. That's the way he wrote it. He didn't write. I have a direct source saying um, it's 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 around the league. And and the thing about that is, sometimes league chatter as somebody who kind of has to be in that space a lot. Sometimes when you talk to other people, they have a good idea of what's going on. It just they'll say, "Well, this just makes too much sense," and then the, then the signing happens. Like the Philip Rivers one was a good example of that. Um, but there's also been times where, you know, I go somewhere and to one of the big off-season meetings, and everyone's talking about, "Well, I think the Colts are going to do this," and it's not where the Colts are headed at all. I mean, if you think back to the coaching search, there were a bunch of reporters saying, you know, people around the league believe that the Colts are going to hire Jeff Saturday. Well, Shane Sykes is here now, so. The, the the doing it from anything other than direct, which it sounds like is is what you kind of have to do because the Colts aren't talking to anybody, is it makes it makes that pick really hard for Dick. Joel, as best you can, get some rest, man. Yeah, we'll see what we can do. We'll see what we can do because it gets like you know you know and you got a show to do on on Friday, so. Uh, it's it's it gets pretty uh, pretty time intensive there at the end of the week. Certainly does. Happy for some answers though. Uh, thank you, Joel. Yep, thanks for having me on, guys. That's Joel A. Erickson from The Star. I think something we can get into, Jake, maybe a little bit later, and again, this is my hat on, not Chris Ballard's hat on. I would look long and hard at trading back into round one if I were the Colts. 
They're sitting there at 35. You're saying, and I want to make clear here, so you're not saying trade back. You are saying after you, select, round one. after you select at round four, then getting yourself back into a second pick within the first round. Correct. I think this roster lacks top-end talent. And if there's a guy, particularly at a premium position, that starts to fall and it's 25 and 26 and 27, contractually, there's a lot of reasons to do it. And again, I just think I, I, enough about this roster having depth. You need to have a better top seven, top nine on your team. That's what matters at the positions of most importance. Again, I am not saying or thinking Chris Boward would do that, but that would be something that I would look into. Um, three quarterbacks drafted, Jake, by the Colts since Andrew Luck. Two are pretty obvious. You got the third? Uh, Sam Ellinger's one, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, since Andrew Luck. Oh, um, hold on. What is the kid's name from Northern Illinois? Boom. He was Mr. Irrelevant, right? Correct. Jacob Eason obviously being the other obvious one. But, yeah, the pride of Norwell, Indiana. I can't remember his name. Give me his initials. Good dude. Same draft as Luck. Give me his initials. C-H. Chandler Harnish. Chandler Harnish. Do you remember when he hit Pam Oliver in the head in warm-ups with a pass? (laughs) I do recall that. He He made it the year, didn't he? I think he did, yeah. And then, gosh, am I imagining like Vikings maybe a brief stop for him? Really, really nice dude. Yeah. Forgot about Jacob Eason. He's he's still hanging around, right? Now, there's a guy, a show listener, as I mentioned, anytime Jacob Eason's name comes up, uh, that was adamant. I mean, called every day on our show when I did my old show, adamant. That I was the biggest idiot on the planet and made every single wager under the sun and blew up my phone via text for a year that Jacob Beeson would be a better pro than Trevor Lawrence. Ooh. Boy. Well, that's not tracking very well for him. We don't we still don't know what kind of pro Trevor Lawrence is gonna be, right? Well, so far, a little bit of a better track record than Jacob Beeson. I mean, it started to last year started to show a little bit of promise, did it not? Was he Carolina for a moment, Eason? Was he still with Frank Reich, or did he go out west? That sounds he's, right. I thought he's back in Seattle. For some reason, I thought he was in one of those NFC West teams. No, he's uh, still he's with the Panthers now. Is he? According to Wikipedia, which uh, mentor, grain of salt. Mentor Bryce Young, maybe? <laughs> um, Boy, no, he's... Oh, yeah, you're right. He's with Carolina. He was with the Niners? I don't remember that. On the practice squad? Okay. Seattle for a year, Carolina for a year, then the Niners practice squad, then back in Seattle. I, it is amazing, though. I'm in a five-star recruit that's 6'5", 200 pounds, big arm, and for whatever reason just can't stick around. You know, again, I know it's not the exact description, but his lack of playing time in college is a bit similar to Anthony Richardson. I always wonder, like guys like that, what would they do if they went back to college just for one more year? Now, again, Richardson would be in a great draft next year, and he still looks like he's going to go very, very high, so that's not that big of an issue. But like, what would Eason have looked like if he went to Washington for another year and exploded and had a big you know, final season? I, I think he would have been drafted much higher way, than round four. On a side note, I've always thought Washington's kind of a cool college football program. Yeah, and they're going to be good, really uh, good mean, this year. Yeah, just cool stadium, obviously great location, cool colors. I don't know. 
I think they're like a potential playoff team, people feel like. Well, they've been one before, right? The first, Weren't they the first college football playoff? That sounds right. With Chris Peterson? Or was it the first? I know that they, I know for a fact they were in the year, that the first year that Clemson went and lost to Alabama, um, Alabama beat Washington in the semifinal. I feel like them Clemson and Oregon. Clemson beat Oklahoma. Had some early playoff yeah. moments with that. Uh, thank you to Tom Allen and Joel Erickson. They've joined us already. We'll continue the Colts conversation again. Some interesting comments, Chris Ballard related from Friday. Uh, let's hit a morning check down. Uh, Jake, let's start with the NBA. Yesterday we had four winners. That would be the Knicks, the Warriors, the Celtics, and the Timberwolves. None of those winners clinch series, though. We only have one. Uh, that is a sweep by the 76ers, and it's good news on that end because Joel Embiid's knee sprain sounds like needs some definite time to rest. Tonight, though, we have got potentially the mega stars in action. I say potentially because Giannis Antetokounmpo has not played since injuring his lower back in game one, and the Bucks are down 2-1 to the Miami Heat. So it's a very rare 1-8 matchup where the eight seed has a lead here three games into the series. That game is in Miami, and then the nightcap tonight will be the Lakers at home against the Grizzlies. John Morant was incredible in Game 3, but the Lakers uh, had a great start, and Dylan Brooks's comments probably did not aid Memphis. Uh, by the way, according to Yahoo Sports, Victor Oladipo, once again done, torn patellar tendon in his left knee. And that's the opposite one, right? Correct. From that's the, the opposite one. One he hurt here. Uh, that coming in the Heat's 121-99 victory over the Bucks in game number three. Uh, that Major was League, brutal, too. That was right in like the closing minutes 30. and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it he was like he slipped. And like there was like, it was weird. It was like in midair. Mm-hmm. You Absolutely know, suddenly brutal. You saw the reaction. Uh, Major League Baseball yesterday. Pirates over the Reds. Well, where are you going to go? How about the Pirates, by the way? Seven straight wins? Yeah. They're like the quietest. Well, here's the thing, though. And a four-game sweep of the the Reds, which actually counts as two wins towards the seven. Uh If the World Series started today, would we get Tampa Bay against Pittsburgh? Certainly not getting the Reds in in that game. Reds or your A's. You imagine you don't, you Major know what, League are you Baseball? Abandon being a Reds fan? Are you abandoned following this team? If it was Tampa Bay against the Pirates, then people would be conflicted because the Pirates nicknamed the Bucks. And then if you're in Tampa, you're a Rays fan, but also a Bucks fan. And then what the hell do you do, right? And then Tom Brady shows up, and you're really confused. Yeah, the right. Reds have lost six straight, and they've scored six runs in those six games. You know how hard that is to do. <laughs> Okay, so they're on the struggle bus. Uh, Dodgers over the Cubs, 7-3. Let's check in on our PBR bet here. The Padres mm. over the Diamondbacks, 7-5. What's the record of your Diamondbacks, Mark? Uh, I believe they lost this series this weekend. So I'm going to say they're they're a game above 500. Do you not have this in front of you? I don't have it. What do we I, I thought you were playing this? a game What right do we now? attempt to do on this program, We Mark? attempt to educate and entertain. We don't always succeed, but we we try. We're, we're 0 for 2. Uh, the Diamondbacks, yeah, by the way. Yeah, they're, they're tied with the Dodgers. They're 12 and 11. They're 12 and 11. Okay, meanwhile, cute fella, that's the Baltimore Orioles. And I am, let me tell you something, I am more proud and happy than a pig in slop over the fact that not one but two people over the weekend told me that they actually refer to the Orioles subliminally and subconsciously as cute fella. When How about that a- AL East, by the way, raise it the top and Orioles seven the for the Orioles. Break up, cute fella. They you probably know, will come just to trade. Look at that line. logo. What is he saying right there? Hey, 
Just root for me. Rays, the Rays have still not lost at home this year, right? No. That's got to be approaching an MLB record. Well, they destroyed the White Sox over the weekend. They, they absolutely stink. The White stink. Sox are really struggling. They bad. are really bad. Uh, Orioles did win 2-1, by the way, over the Tigers. Also, uh, Cardinals 7-3 over the Mariners and the Indianapolis Indians 6-4 winners over the Memphis Redbirds. I feel bad because Scotty always puts the Midwest League scores on here, so let's just go ahead and throw those in. Uh, the Great Lake Loons. 10-8. Those guys are crazy, by the way. Uh, 10-8 over the South Bend Cubs and the Peoria Chiefs 9-0 over the Fort Wayne 10 caps. For, for those of you Since we're talking minor leagues, by the way, uh, Kevin's Oakland A's 4-18 mm-hmm. on yeah. the season. Lavos, you know, the, the, minor the, leagues might be a compliment for the, the A's. The Fort right Wayne now. 10 caps have a parent club, by the way, the Fort Wayne uh, 10 foil caps. And those oh. guys, let me tell you something. You want to talk about the loons? Okay. The Indianapolis Indians home this week. Mark, uh, 135. Mark, I, I don't want to say what I'm thinking. First pitch on Wednesday, 11.05. First pitch on Thursday. So if you're looking for some local action. And uh, Indy Fuel at, at home tomorrow night, right? Game three of their playoff series? Uh, where do things stand in the Fuel's playoff series? Uh, they had Toledo in a 2-3 matchup. So they'll be at home uh, coming up here um, on Tuesday and Thursday for the now, what a Fuel. What did we do when it comes to the fuel the other day? Didn't we? Didn't we say it? Let's go. go. Fuel. There we go. Uh, I'm looking here. Are they tied one one. Are they? What is the playoff standing right now? I'm on their website. Standby. This is great radio. I realize. I thought they were down two zero, but I could be wrong on that. Um, wouldn't they be down o two then? <laughs> Thank you, Mark. I'm yeah, sorry. 4-2 loss and a 4-1 loss. Is that right? Well, now is when to they the turn Toledo walleye. Uh, don't they say, you yeah, know, the walleye. series doesn't start until you That's right. play or uh, win a game on road ice? You know, they're trying to get the walleye with the old bait and hook. And going down love two is the way to do it, right? Uh, we'll be back to talk some Colts next. <laughs> One of those deceiving mornings, Jake. Doesn't it look 60 outside? Yeah, what's the temperature? It was chilly, but it wasn't terrible, right? I thought they said it was one of the colder mornings like ever for April 24th. Could I, was I wrong on that? Let's see here. Oh, wow. It's 35. Is that right? Okay. You know, I've got a TV shoot later today. Humble oh, so well, okay. brag. Wow, geez. Well, I mean, no I mean, big deal. Well, listen, I'd like to, if you guys could please hold the jealousy. Um, Patty Spittler's show, they're coming out and doing a show or a story on Boo. Now, the challenge is going to be that means that I've got to get the cat. Um, so, does this officially make me like a crazy cat person that I've got a TV station coming out? That over cat exposing of it's Boo at you such more, a young age. It's going to make you more crazy cat Boo's person. Boo's not a young age. He's nine, Kevin. Is Boo more... signed off on this? <laughs> yeah. It was hard to get the pin in his paw. <laughs> <laughs> getting, getting the side, uh, he he had some pause about it, but it, it's going to make you more of a crazy cat person when you're not the focal point of the story and like pacing in the background. Sir, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. you stop walking I, back there? Yeah, I don't know. It's like when you were threatening the Hard Knocks cameras back in the day. <laughs> My sister, by the way, said, "Well, um, if you've got a TV place coming to your house, uh, you need to do some cleaning." I said, well, I'm not sure that they're, you know, these are, it's a, it's a show of about, the litter box or just the apartment show about in cats. They're expecting hair everywhere. You're going right? to be like Richard Dreyfuss and what about they, Bob? They, they go in and do features on cat people. I've got to actually, I'm probably the most neurotic type A of anybody, right? Sir, can you move those SpaghettiO cans <laughs> for our wide shot here? So where can we watch this? Um, Pet Paws TV. It's on channel eight, right? It's not Patty Spittler's show. 
I don't know if I get Channel Eight. KJ is coming out to to do an interview with me. Yeah, I don't think I get Wish. Uh, we had Boo had an appointment yesterday at the groomer. Yeah, we got to get everything prim and proper. Mm-hmm. The paparazzi. Did you get a, a haircut as well? Outside. Looks What's like that? you're a little more clean cut as well. Like you got a. Oh, I shaved. Thank you, oh, Mark. I appreciate okay. you noticing. <laughs> We've obviously debated. I got TV tomorrow. Um, I get my haircut in Shelbyville. This is the finest. Oh. Mm-hmm. We've debated a lot what will happen ahead of Indianapolis here coming up on Thursday night. Um, Chris Ballard was pretty at Mark, do you, do you have that clip about what will happen at 1-2-3? Ballard was pretty adamant that he had no idea w- w- what was going to happen. Let's let's play this clip. This is Chris Ballard from Friday at the pre-draft presser on uh, what will happen ahead of Indianapolis. It definitely made me think. And I mean, oh, Bowen, every one? time I freaking read or listen to Bowen, it's like a constant freaking barrage of, of, of uh, wideouts. <laughs> All right, here's the real one. No, and I don't think anybody does. Now, everybody thinks they do. I mean, of course, everybody thinks they do, and everybody has an inside source that's given them information of what's going to be done. But I think, as you all know, just look at the mock drafts and tell me how accurate they are after the draft. You don't, Nobody knows. Nobody's given out information. You believe that, that Ballard is just as much kind of in the dark as we are, what will happen ahead of Indianapolis? No. But it's not in his best interest to let us know. I, I, I would hope not. Honestly, I would hope not, right? Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Peter King had a, a, a quote. It was from an anonymous GM, but, but, but the GM said that last year at the time, he had like a 90% feel on what was going to happen ahead of them and what they would do. And he said this year it's 25%. And if you look at the teams, one, two, three, and four, all four – have new head coaches. Um, Peter King also pointed out, if you look at teams, extend all the way down to Tennessee at 11. So if you look at the first 11 teams, nine of those 11 either have a new head coach or a new GM. It does seem like, Jake, there is a little bit more doubt this year with all of it. I mean, outside of Bryce Young, I mean, nobody has any idea two or three. That's quite the domino effect. Yeah, I should believe again, Howard on that one. I, I go back to Kevin. If there were okay, people ask a lot: Do the Colts need to move up to get the quarterback that they have that they want to secure that they get the quarterback? And my answer to that is. If there were four lock, stock, and barrel franchise quarterbacks in this draft, we wouldn't be sitting here questioning what Houston and Arizona are going to do because Houston would be drafting a quarterback and Arizona would be parlaying that pick into multiple pieces because somebody needed to move up to get one of the four can't-miss quarterbacks. The fact that the Colts may well, at four, not be taking the fourth quarterback tells you right there that there is some question about the level of franchise quarterbacks. I'm going to maintain what I've said for a month and I don't Aren't know Aren't there always this questions though? Yes, but what I'm saying is there are four quarterbacks in this draft. Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, no particular order. Those four quarterbacks have been thought from the beginning of the process as four franchise quarterbacks. And I go back to I believe 
that those are four franchise quarterbacks, Kevin, not because they are can't-miss franchise quarterbacks, but rather because there are four teams drafting very high that are in need of a quarterback this year. Like, I don't know that the Colts this year are going to be drafting a quarterback because they see a guy that they're like, this is a can't-miss, absolute, have-to-have product, as much as we have painted ourselves into the corner now where everyone knows, including the owner, the time is now. We have kicked this can for too long. I just think you never truly know what you're getting in any of these quarterbacks. I mean, if you look at the AFC right now. I totally agree with that. I mean, totally agree with that. If you look at this conference, outside of Joe Burrow, the three best QBs in some order, you would say, are Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and Justin Herbert. Right. None of those three were drafted in the top five. So those three quarterbacks but, walked into drafts, and in Herbert's case, the third but two QB of those taken. three teams moved up to get them. Right. So there was a team that's that seemingly you know had belief, but in those drafts, you had multiple quarterbacks drafted ahead of. Allen, multiple quarterbacks drafted ahead of Herbert, just one drafted ahead of Patrick Mahomes. But even in those three instances, you clearly had teams that bypassed them and that then they turned into outstanding quarterbacks. So to me, it's just not this thing of like, oh, the only way that you're a locked in franchise quarterback is you go one, two, or three, or four. Like I, I, I just I don't think that's necessarily the case when it comes to that. Um, a couple other Ballard comments from Friday. I know we mentioned this a little bit with Joel Erickson earlier. He loves the tight end draft class. And I think when we've had different draft analysts on throughout this past month, they have spoken very, very highly at tight end. I I thought Jelani Woods showed you something late in the year that you wanted to see. I thought he really struggled at times in training camp. But I thought you saw some nice development from him. Frankly, I thought he should have got the ball a little bit more late in the year. Um, so tight end on paper, I don't think it's like a crystal clear need, but again, support the QB pass catcher to me is a need in general. So I won't, um, be too upset if that's a selection they go. Ballard did say on the O line and corner front that those are two positions they still plan to add not only in the draft, but also in free agency as well. We have not seen really anything of note at O line or corner here, uh, so far this offseason. Uh, there have been questions for the Colts pre-Shane Steichen about at the tight end position whether or not they had the athleticism necessary and the evolution of that position I think the Colts have three tight ends that are very intriguing players in terms of their ability to be short yardage receivers and really good blockers on the line and big targets but in terms of and I know Kevin it's these guys don't grow on trees, right? But like the Kelsey Kittle mold of tight end, I think they would love to get a guy like that if there's one in the draft. And I think they would be intrigued by it if one of those is available for them. I think wide out means more than tight end. Uh, well, I totally give, agree. Given the current I agree with that. But but tight end, though, if you get one of those guys, can that can free up some wide out stuff for you just as another playmaking option. You know, I mentioned this prior about wideout. You got enough power forwards in that room. It's time to get kind of a point guard. It's it's time to get like a shiftier guy. I think you say that for tight ends. Yeah, but is Grant's in that? But I mean, tight end. I'm saying like you've got three guys that well, one of them was a power forward, right? Three big bodied, again, battleships, right? Guys that are big movers in the in the out in the in the waters. But it, when you need them to turn around, it takes a while. 
and they need they need a speedboat. And then you need that at receiver, too. You just need playmakers in general, right? I mean, yeah, Jonathan Taylor's their one guy in open space that can just just make make it happen, right? I'd say last year, like, 28th or 29th in the league in explosive plays. And to me, at wideout, um, the nice thing about this draft is it does appear there are some of those T.Y. Hilton-type body types a little bit on the shorter end. Not the you know biggest dudes in the world, but have got some speed. And, of course, this is a dream scenario. But, you know, 11 years ago... When you drafted Andrew Luck, you were able to come back and get T.Y. Hilton in that third round. If you're able to accomplish something like that here, coming up on Thursday night to pair with that young QB, that would obviously be a dream. Probably more of a Friday night move than anything. Is T.Y. Hilton Florida Atlantic or Florida International? Uh, F-I-U. Yeah, Florida International. I always get those two confused. Am I the only one that gets those two confused? You've heard the story about... Now his son, who's getting college offers, how he picked a school, right? Yeah, he went in and had him pick a hat, didn't he? I think Eugene was like 18 months or maybe like two years old and, yeah, walked to the end of the bed and had a FIU and a West Virginia hat. Doesn't T.Y. Hilton just scream like West Virginia, Pat White, Steve Slayton player? No doubt. Have you been to West Virginia, by the way? Morgantown? Uh, Driven through it, but no. Morgantown is a cool, it's about a five and a half hour drive from here, maybe six. Uh, but that would be a cool weekend trip because it's a especially on a football weekend. But it's it's a neat campus. It's real hilly. It's a it's a cool looking town. It's in a pretty area. West Virginia, in my opinion, and I know someday when I do my list, since I've been to all fifty states, when I rank them one through fifty, West Virginia is in my highly underrated list. Really, I think I, I do think it. Well, yeah, I do think there are some. Be- I mean, the PJ Tour used to go the Greenbrier. I don't know if. The Houston, well, that's Texans, over 86th and Ditch, right? Used to have training camp there. Uh, gorgeous in terms of hills and all of that. And I mean, honestly, just the fact that they produce Kevin Pitsnoggle should be a top 10 state. <laughs> that's right. We know what Mr. Pitsnoggle is doing these days. I saw he is a, is that a school teacher. Or correct. Remember, things? like every year during the tournament, they have the thing like, where are they now of like NCAA tournament stars of yesteryear? And Pitsnoggle, I believe, is a high school principal, right? Or administrator? We, we do need more males and. Education. That is great to see. Can you imagine? Principal Pitsnoggle. <laughs> How many kids like even realized that he was the toast of an NCAA tournament? All right, if you can outshoot me, uh, your in-school suspension goes from you That's know, right. five days down. Did to you ever get in-house suspension? Two days. Uh, no. Junior high I had to eat like lunch in the principal's office for a week. Really? Threw what? a kickball hit Zach Stare in the head. What's Zach? number 50 on your state list? Who's the lowest? What's the lowest state? Would you like to guess? Mississippi. There, I, I've got an appreciation for Mississippi. I've been there a couple of times. Um, did a pretty extensive now twice tour through, for lack of a better phrase, the Emmett Till tragedy. Um, but I also did a Habitat for Humanity build in southern Mississippi in Bay St. Louis. And found the people to be incredibly loyal and kind to me where they had nothing. So Mississippi ranks higher than than you would think. Kevin, would you like to guess my state number 50? What are we going off of here? Like, is this just like where you want to live, um, good weather, good, just good the, people, okay, good food? Weather, geography, scenery, um, cleanliness, um how easy to get in and out of, proximity to other things, all factors. Yeah, I'll go North Dakota. 
North Dakota very high on the list. North Dakota was where I went and asked if I could uh, what would, there was to do in town, and they told me to go to the Roger Maris Museum. I think I told you guys this, and then I, I'm like, oh, Roger Maris is from Fargo. Well, that's cool. And I put it in my phone, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And the Roger Maris Museum was actually a kiosk in the mall next to the and Bed Bath and Beyond. <laughs> that's right. Um, but North Dakota, R.I.P. to Bed Bath and Beyond. Fargo was kind of. I, I kind of had an appreciation for Cargo. Fargo. I would say North Dakota is probably in the thirty-five to fifty range, but not fifty. Mark, did you buy the mayo yet? I mean, I have it. I can bring it in. No, that, we're not doing that. Should we do it only if they draft Will Levis, or should we just do it to toast no, the draft? No, we're not doing it. I, I, I think a toast to the draft. So Two, Thursday morning? Well, I don't. Zero chance. Just in case it goes haywire, I, I'd like to have my guts all day Thursday. going to be kind of a long one for me. What about Wednesday? Okay, I'll bring it in Wednesday. We'll discuss that on the other side. Kevin and Quarry uh, on a very nice-looking yet chilly I'll tell you 50 Monday morning. Too. So, admittedly, there are things about all of the states that have redeeming qualities. Don't get me wrong. And this state certainly has beautiful suburban areas. But when I think about going to it, I think about buses and rain and overcast and gross streets and hassle. And you're close to where you want to be, but you're not quite there yet. And you're gridlocked in trying to get there and attitude. And when I was an intern at MTV, I got into a box truck one day and I had to go with another intern and drive errands all around Manhattan. And the guy said to me, so where are you from? The other intern. And I said, well, I go to Indiana. What about you? And he said, I go to Rutgers. And if we're going to be in this truck all day, the deal is we got to listen to nothing but Bon Jovi and Springsteen because I'm from Jersey. And I said, okay. And I do kind of like Springsteen, but New Jersey is my state number 50. Wow. And Steve Peichel's still getting the last laugh at that, right? (laughs) New Jersey is my state number 50. You know, it's funny to just imagine states and think about how a stereotype on a state can change, like visiting, you know, whatever, Chicago versus visiting the middle of the state of Illinois. Yeah, can you imagine if your only experience in Illinois is, you know. Carbondale. Yeah. Let me just insert some random yeah. city um, on that end. All right, 9 o'clock hour coming up here. Kevin and Quarry, and again, on a really nice-looking but chilly Monday. At 9 o'clock hour here on a Monday. Gosh, Tom Allen's energy at 7.30 was something this morning. That's how we started things off. Joel A. Erickson around 8 o'clock. We haven't talked a ton of NBA Jake, that was a really tough scene to see late in um, the Heat Game 3 win over the Bucks. What would that have been Saturday? When Victor Oladipo went down, first off, it's just kind of, you know, really kind of sums up where Victor is at at this stage in his career that, you know, he's he's in a playoff game when they're up 30 or whatever it was, very late, and he drives to the basket in, in a way, it did remind me of the injury here against Toronto. The, the the Toronto one was more of a breakaway, but it was kind of the same angle on the floor. And he goes up and just kind of slipped, and just that knee really gave out. And reported yesterday a torn patella tendon in the left knee, which is the opposite one of his original injury. And for a guy that turns 31 years old at the end of next week, Jake, you got to think if uh, – we'll ever see him again and if we do what that looks like i i think the thing that's going to be hard 
is you naturally have, you know, so often, Kevin, and I'm not talking about athletes, I'm talking about the weekend warrior types, right? But so often when one injury happens, you end up creating problem elsewhere because you are subconsciously favoring a different part of your body to compensate for the area that's not at full throttle. And the challenge for Victor Oladipo during his rehabilitation of a left patellar tendon tear is the fact that the knee that he now is going to probably more favor for a while, the right leg, is the one where he's had multiple problems. The quad tears and, you know, so, you know, that 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 kind of athleticism, that kind of explosion, I, you know, it's it's unfortunate because even after the injuries, he still played at a high level. But yes, you are correct. I mean, does he? This this was his second chance, right? If not his third, and arguably final. I mean, it. it you know, I kind of feel even the if way. You're, even if you're him, right? Even if you're him, right? You're like, okay, I'm good. And I think a lot of it goes back to like playing style. And, and I guess this gets into a little bit of our Lamar Lamar Jackson debate we had last month. You know, when you're talking about a player of Lamar Jackson's style, you know, what is the staying power? How long can you sustain such unique athletic traits? In that case, as a runner at the quarterback position, before you are a passer. In Oladipo's case, this is a 6-4 shooting guard, which by NBA standards is not tall. He's a guy that does not shoot the ball consistently from behind the arc. So in order for him to be at whatever level he sniffed here in Indiana, which you know was kind of an all-star level, you've got to be that tremendous, high-flying, reckless athlete that is ability to have a Russell Westbrook. Like, it's amazing that Westbrook has sustained that athletic ability so deep in his career. And it's why you look at a guy like Buddy Heald here in Indiana, who, again, by a shooting guard standpoint, is on the shorter end. But his skill has staying power because it's the ability to shoot. Right. You can shoot deep into your 30s. You can't play like Victor Oladipo plays deep into your 30s. And then when these injuries, of course, start to pile up, that's why, you know, he's been relegated to, you know, a, a, a back end of the bench player in Miami. And now, obviously, health is not in his favor at all. So, in a way, those types of players, to me, it's a little reminiscent of dual threat quarterbacks in the NFL. And that's why I, I think the Anthony Richardson, Jake, um, I think that, that aspect is going to be interesting to watch. You know, Richardson obviously is built like a tight end or a D end. So is he able to withstand some of that wear and tear deeper in his career? Or does naturally, a guy that runs first, is it always going to catch up to you? Here's the thing. At the quarterback position, there there are three kinds of quarterbacks. There are QBs that, that are statues that just have to stand in the pocket and throw. Okay? That are not mobile weapons at all. Peyton Manning. There are quarterbacks that are really good passers that can run the football if need be, but they are more than that simply passers. But they have the ability, if need be, to run. They just don't rely on that, Russell Wilson. And then you have quarterbacks that 
are basically running backs with an ability to throw the football, and they want to run first, and their passing game is is necessity or is predicated on their ability to keep defenses at bay on their heels because of their legs. Right. That would be you know what Michael Vick or even Randall Cunningham to go back to kind of the original. Both of those guys were good passers. Michael Vick had an had an incredibly strong arm and could could absolutely laser through windows. Now, did he do it with incredible accuracy? Probably not to the point you'd like. And Randall Cunningham could throw the ball, absolutely could throw the ball, but a lot of that was once play defenses were breaking down because he was scrambling all, all over the place. Once those guys' legs went away and then they had to just become pocket passers, that's when they were exposed and their careers were shortened. Exposed is maybe the wrong word, but they didn't have the the overwhelming zip on the football and accuracy as a pocket guy to be able to, to withstand it once that luxury of their legs went away. Richardson, to me, and to perhaps like Levis, to me, I haven't seen enough of Anthony Richardson or Will Levis, either one, to to intelligently necessarily make definitive statement. But it appears as though Richardson is a guy that is so incredibly big and athletic that he does fit the Shane Steichen type offense that he can kind of do both. But is he too reliant on his legs? Levis can run as well, but he seem, Levis seems to be by design a more intent passer first. But then I look at Jalen Hurts, who a lot of people said was not a pocket passer, and look at what he did under Shane Steichen. He's now one of, if not the best quarterbacks in the league. So that gives you flexibility. Yeah, uh, Hurts certainly had hit, you know, great moments in in, in college. Um, I think there are some concerns with Richardson over, you know, if you're just going to start for one year, you need to be pretty generational in that one year, like Lamar Jackson was at Louisville, like Cam Newton was at Auburn. And he was not that. I do want to go back to that that clip we played earlier for Joel Erickson. And, and Jake, I want you to react to it. Because, you know, when Chris Ballard said this comment on Friday, and I'll provide some context around it, I, I found it very odd. The, the, the question was about how much you monitor, like, teams behind you and them trading up potentially over you. So it wasn't really about a player or wasn't about like any sort of smokescreen or quarterbacks or anything like that. And unprompted, Ballard offered this comment. Um, and and I, again, it's six days before the draft when he said it. You're just trying to find any sort of tea leaves to it. So maybe my mind just got racing naturally because of that. But here was Chris Ballard, very unprompted on Friday. This is the main assumption right now that we have targeted one guy to go get. I don't. I don't know if that's an accurate assumption. When you hear that, Jake, my initial thought, and I leaned over to Stephen Holder a few questions after that, and I rarely do this, but I said to Stephen, like, because Stephen and I were both trying to get one more question, and I'm like, are you are you trying to ask him about that 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 answer? He's like, yeah. I, I'm like, why did he say that? Why did he offer that up? And is that Will Levis? Because I, I think if there's any player that's been pegged to the Colts here, whether you could say locally um, or nationally, it's probably been Levis. Agreed. And I think that that comes from people who assume that the owner is the one that likes Will Levis. Um, my fear, Kevin, 
my fear, and, and I'm sure that people on 56th Street, when they hear this, are going to be like, whatever, dude. My fear is that the owner and general manager may have different people in mind. And if that's the case, then who gets the ultimate say? And I know that ultimately Chris Ballard has the ultimate say, but does Chris Ballard in the back of his mind default to Jim Mercer's comments at the owners' meetings that the insinuation that Ballard's footing is not as firm as it was? So under that assumption, Jake, are you saying Shane Steichen does not have any say? Are you looking at Ursa and Ballard as the two decision makers here? Yes. I think Steichen would report to Ballard. I don't think Steichen can overpower Ballard. Do you? Yeah, I I just think Shane Steichen's got to be a huge chunk of the decision-making pie. I mean, you gave him a six-year deal. You hired him because of his quarterback background, and now you're not going to listen to him on the most well, important decision this franchise has had in years. But, but all three of those guys have the similar it's a matter I think all three of those guys are pretty similar in in the style that they play it's a matter of which one you think plays that style best right between Richardson Levis and you know Stroud well, Stroud I, is certainly a pocket passer yeah well and Stroud is by far to the me, best I, I, passer I, in this class all of this to me is a if, if CJ Stroud is on the board I, this is all a moot point right you know, got to go with C.J. Stroud. I, I I would agree with that. I thought Joel, and I'm glad that he kind of went into detail on it. I, I get it's a little nerdy, but I was glad that Joel brought up him asking Chris Ballard off to the side about that S2 test of the combine, and Ballard really kind of clammed up, and that is very unlike Ballard to do that. Um, to me, that's an indicator of like that S2 test means something to the Colts, and if it does mean something to you, then what would that mean for C.J. Stroud? Now, Devil's Advocate would say, Jalen Hurts did not score very high on it, and look what happened, or has happened, with Shane Steichen. So, again, for me, Shane Steichen needs to be the biggest decision maker out of that trio. What what on Chris Ballard's resume leads you to think he should make the quarterback decision? What on Jim Irsay's resume? He had the number one overall pick in 98 and 2012. Shane Steichen's the one that has actually developed yeah. and gotten guys to play at a peak performance. So to me, it's a no-brainer of those three who should have the decision. Now again, I'm not naive. I wasn't born yesterday. You also don't know how long Shane Steichen's going to be around. Right? Well, it's a six-year deal. I, I get it, but I mean, so was how long was Frank Reich's? I mean, Shane Steichen, to me, I would assume he's got a long... I mean, if, if Shane Kevin, Steichen doesn't work out, Chris Ballard's but, gone. But, well, totally agree. But we're coming off, keep in mind, we're coming off a head coach that was a quarterback whisperer that had a lot of years and a lot of money left on the contract, right? Yeah, I I do feel like Steichen's quarterback resume, to me, is a little bit better than the Reich resume. You know, when you look at Reich, um, you could say it cancels out Phillip Rivers with Reich, Phillip Rivers with Steichen. So then you go to Wentz. You know, Reich got Wentz to play at an MVP level. And then, all, then obviously, it, he tore his ACL and Reich left and uh, Wentz never got back there. To me, what Shane Steichen did with Justin Herbert, and I feel like we, we forget this about Herbert. Justin Herbert was drafted in 2020, six overall. That was the COVID year. Shane Steichen was the Chargers OC in that season. 
Tyrod Taylor was supposed to be the starter and was the starter. And remember, he got a little shot up in the wrong spot and it was a freak accident and all of a sudden he can't start like week two or week three. So then boom, Justin Herbert with no offseason or very little offseason reps in a COVID year, he gets thrown into the fire and throws for the most touchdowns that any rookie's ever done in the NFL. And then he goes to Philly. And obviously, you see Jalen Hurts make big-time strides from year one to two and two to three. That's why the Steichen resume stands out. I will say this on the Colts' belief in that S2 test, which side of the ledger will they be on? While Jalen Hurts is a guy that scored low on it and has played well, Shane Steichen told the story back at the Combine during that COVID draft where they met with Justin Herbert on Zoom. And basically, early on in the Zoom interaction, they told Herbert some concepts or some plays, and they're like, hey, you know, we're going to tell you this now, and at the end of it, we want you to draw something up or show us kind of your, your memory and your intel and your recall. And Herbert did that and blew them out of the water, and Steichen remembered that and that leaving a strong impression. So if that happened to Shane Steichen with Justin Herbert... If that does not happen with C.J. Stroud, would that be viewed as a negative for Shane Steichen? The the tests themselves, I, we should take them in here. The Wonderlick and the what's the S two you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I believe if I'm not mistaken, Man, it's like a 45 camera, minute test. telephone car, it's Scantron based. Any either of those a Scantron based? only I saw one example of a question, and basically they flashed up a diamond. Mm-hmm. And there are multiple diamonds, and it flashed up for like a millisecond. I mean, really quick. And the diamond was missing. Let's say there are four diamonds. Each was missing a point on one of the four points. And it was your job then to say with the keys whether it was the left, right, up, or down. It's like an eye exam then. I think it is a little bit more of like a hand-eye coordination and recall. Not Better like or worse. <laughs> a lep worse. is a ball. A lep is a ball, and you come back for the eye step test. So yeah, maybe we should do S two and Mayo and coffee on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. No, no, the the Mayo thing that's happening, no. huh? It's just a matter of are you a team player or not. Mark, will you bring the Mayo in? Yeah, I will bring it Wednesday. See that Wednesday. What, what do we? Is it a spoonful? A nice dollop, I'd say. Mm, nice dollop. dollop. I can hear the clump into yeah. the coffee. Splash. And I'll, I'll I'll go to camera side on Jake's side so he can get a nice whiff mm-hmm. if he's not going to participate. Perfect. But we can make some coffee uh, in the kitchen. I'll bring it over. We'll do some mayo. We'll toast. Okay. Jake will vomit, and then we'll continue with the, with the toast, show. How about vo- Vegemite on the toast? Wow. <laughs> Yeah. Boy, I mean, are you participating? Yeah. Or are you, you know are you just are you just New Year's overseeing? resolution for me to lose weight? It could happen this week. Here's with how the thing. things are Here's looking. The thing. Here's the thing. I had you guys taste Vegemite, and I believe neither of you kept it down, right? Oh, I oh, kept, kept it, it down. down. But I mean, I'm not you know running gagged, to the but international I grocery store for it. But neither of you claimed ahead of time a blatant like what's the word I'm looking for. Is aversion disgust? the right word? Yes, disgust for Vegemite. I, I I am confessing to you, not only a blatant disgust for mayonnaise, but what I would list is essentially a hatred. And in addition to that, the the consistency is a bit alarming. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm going to be fully transparent, 
Just the thought of it. But I'll give just, it a go. Just, yeah. no, oh, my gosh. Just the thought of mayonnaise. It is the most horrifically disgusting substance on the planet mm-hmm. on the planet jake's gonna show up wednesday with a letter from motman i guarantee you motman would agree with me guarantee it yeah but then you say it's for the show and he's like go right ahead Jake. no 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 maybe motman said yeah go ahead because that means my lions I'd, can maybe move up motman would probably rather have me fire up a lung dart right here than than do <laughs> mayonnaise <laughs> I'm well, telling you. Just well. wait till carb day. That could be done about 7.02 coming up here. With your Coors banquet? Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> I, I say we, we scheduled for Wednesday. We'll see if Jake's a team player or not. You and I I'm will in. participate, and Jake is TBD. I'm in. Okay. Jake, you got uh, Barbara this weekend, is that right? That is correct. Uh, as a matter of fact, it looks like we're going... I'm a little bummed because my stallions are on the road. The USFL. I, I did watch some USFL and XFL action on Saturday. I just cannot get into it, guys. Let no, me tell you, you. The what's that? No, thank you. The I XFL. Even tell you what they're on what they're on. The St. Louis BattleHawks had. I heard Jack I mean, Collinsworth on the call. I was like, oh, God. they probably had twenty thousand people in St. Louis for that game, and then I flipped over to the USFL, and it was Houston and somebody, and I think it was in Houston, and I kid you not, there was not a single person in the stands oh, yeah. going back to covid i mean it was like oh my gosh uh, the birmingham game birmingham had some fans but keep in mind that's where they played all the games last year so maybe people like know about it. i don't know but um we are going to the birmingham barons game on saturday night taking on the tennessee smokies nice i got us uh you paint your chest with a baron on it i got front row seats for us eight of them Right there in the front row along the right field line. You guys going to be jumping on tables in the parking lot before Heck the yeah. game? Heck yeah. I love Birmingham. Barber's cool, but... Who's the most obscure player on the Barons? Michael Jordan. It's where he played, you know. They used to play the Birmingham Barons or AA baseball. They played in the oldest consecutive major li- or oldest consecutive professional baseball stadium in the country until like four years ago. Who's the, uh, who's the affiliate? It was White Sox, obviously, but... I- uh, I'm not sure now. Who's the Ten Caps affiliate? Now that's a good. Ten one Caps too. is double A, right? Uh, ten Caps is is it single or double A? You look up uh, the Ten Caps. I'll look up the Barons here. Was that me or Mark? Either one. Because what do we do on this program, Mark? We educate and entertain. Thank you. Uh, the Chicago White Sox still for the Birmingham Barons. They are in. They play in Regions Field in downtown Birmingham. The Fort Wayne Tin Caps, Padres. the High A Midwest League affiliate of the San Diego Padres. Really? Wow. Used to be the nothing, Twins. Nothing says San Diego like mm-hmm. Fort Wayne. <laughs> I hear Parkview Field. Juan Soto, you got to go do a rehab assignment. Go to Fort Wayne. Where? By the, by the way, huh? I hear Parkview Field is great. Do you guys know what a Baron is? I, I boy, I know. I, I like. I thought a baron. I, I think of like the red baron. I thought of a baron as like a, a guy that flies like a, a double prop plane, like a in the military, like a nobility thing or something. It's like a Mark is correct. Oh I, yes, I'm a baron of a baron Winchester. is a member of the lowest order of the British nobility. Mark, that was really well done. Thank you. What? what how'd you do that again? I said I'm the baron of Winchester. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, <laughs> uh, uh, the lowest form of, of nobility. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Mark, we're having Ross Tucker on tomorrow. Yep, Ross who's, Tucker, eight o'clock. Who's Charles the Davis Baron of on this Wednesday. program? Charles who? Yeah, who's the lowest form of nobility on well, this show? We'll see what happens Wednesday morning, and we'll <laughs> determine those rankings then. Uh, pop quiz coming up in a few. Three one seven two three nine ten seventy for that. For now, morning checkdown.
I, I, I can't even. I can smell the mayonnaise. Right now, I can smell it. Your guys' favorite NBA series, not Kings-Warriors. You know... The games haven't been too competitive. I must say, the environments in Madison Square Garden were pretty darn good here the last few nights. It's kind of hard to argue that. But Jim Dolan, though, can I I know, really... but those Knicks fans in the street, I just laugh. I think it's great. I'm, I mean, I'm... I'm by default, I'm kind of in on Bucks Heat, mm-hmm, just with the sure. unknown of Giannis, and then my brother's a diehard Bucks fan at the moment, and just every game, he's like, I, I don't know what's happening, Giannis needs to get in here, I don't know what's happening, maybe he should sit, I don't know. It sounds very iffy for tonight. Yeah. I mean, he showed up on the money lines and, and betting wagers, like, ahead of the game, so I was like, oh, is he going to give it a go? No, he didn't, so. Yeah. Uh, Lakers-Grizzlies, to me, a little bit, because of the, the whole Brooks and LeBron mm-hmm. deal. Yeah. That's I, the, right the Grizzlies, we didn't even discuss it. They scored seven points, no, nine. They had nine points in a quarter. It was the, it was the biggest first quarter lead ever in playoff Correct. history, and right? it was the second lowest total in, a, in an opening quarter in playoff history. I watched the, the first quarter, and I'm like, I think I can quarter. check out of this game now, and I'll be yeah, okay. It yeah, was ridiculous. So those are the two games tonight. Uh, Milwaukee and Miami, game four. Again, the Heat lead 2-1. I think it's the first time in six or seven years you've had an eight-seed beating a one seed through three games of that series. And then the nightcap will be the Lakers at home trying to go up 3-1 on Memphis. Yesterday, the Knicks went up 3-1 on Cleveland. Golden State and Sacramento continue to hold serve on home floor. Boy, Harrison Barnes, you imagine how he felt getting that look there at the end, trying to do it to his former team. He missed that three at the end, so Steph Curry... Breathe a sigh of relief. So that series at 2-2. Boston up 3-1 now. And the Timberwolves did avoid a sweep. Anthony Edwards uh, pretty big in that one as they hold on. And they actually won in overtime. They almost blew it in regulation. Anthony Edwards is one of the best young Denver players 3-1. no one talks about, by the way. So what the hell does Minnesota do? Like, do they trade Carl Anthony Towns? Yeah, that's a good question. Probably because Gobert, I mean... I mean, now you're rebuilding around Edwards, yeah. right? Yeah, Edwards, I'm telling you, he's, he's really good. By the way, uh, we'll go with some NHL scores. It was Carolina over the Islanders 5-2. That is a 3-1 series lead now for Carolina. This in the NHL playoff. Boston Bruins 6-2 over the Panthers. Boston now leads three games to one. Tied at two games apiece. The Stars and the Wild because the <laughs> Stars 3-2 winners. Dallas over the Wild and then the Edmonton Oilers 5-4 winners over the L.A. Kings, that ties that in two games apiece as well. Indy Fuel down to love and their playoff. Who, who are your guys' teams again? I know Home Kevin. Tuesday and Thursday, the Fuel, by the way, if you're looking for something. I was do. torn between Islanders and Rangers. I thought Islanders you took and the Rangers. Avalanche, Kevin. Yeah, I took the Avalanche. And then I thought I could have sworn I took the Pirates in Major League Baseball. You guys keep on oh, having yeah? me down for the A's. Uh-huh. I could have sworn I had the Pirates. I know. No. You went with the A's because you know a dude that knows a dude. <laughs> Pretty mm-hmm. much, right? yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, they're small market. Oh, wait, they're moving to Vegas. <laughs> uh, we got a mom of four, okay, here on Twitter. The mayo in the coffee is probably like people who put coconut oil in their coffee. You need to put it in a blender, not just plop it in. Oh, we're plopping. We don't have I think we're going to have to plop. Plop and maybe a stir. But I do appreciate the, uh, the advice. Thank you, DJ Scott, for that. Plop, Jake right, can Mark? either do yeah, of course. Jake can either do the spoonful in the coffee, or he can just do the spoonful straight without the coffee. Because you're not a coffee guy, right? So you just want to do the mayo on the spoon. I'm not doing it <laughs> anywhere. You, you could cover it in Nutella. You sound like Denny Green right there. 
They are who we thought they were. <laughs> just, I'm just telling you now. If, if you get that mayo, I mean, you're going to get a whiff of it. I'm going to be right that, over there. Just the sight of it. I'm going to let you uncork the cap, take a big look at it, take a whiff. I'm I'm starting to sweat right now over the thought of this. Here comes there is the airplane, Jake. More mayo covered airplane than mayonnaise. Coming in for a landing right under the nose. Pop quiz next. Okay. <laughs> Jake's gonna have to do a lap, I think. Pop quiz <laughs> next. Sweaty. I'm already starting to worry. Jake, you got a big Monday. Hey, man. He's wearing his Indianapolis Indians attire today. Scotty, of course, like myself, a Washington Township Schools product. And in many ways, my spirit animal and some of the different generational things we discuss from a sports standpoint. But at no point at any time in the 20 years that I've known Scotty and worked with him in peripheral roles over the years, have I ever more thought that he was absolutely the road Scholar genius that he is than when he just walked in and said, and I quote, mayonnaise might be the most disgusting thing ever made. Counterpoint, Chris wrote on Twitter, isn't the purpose of the show to educate and entertain? Jake Quarry eating may- mayo would be entertaining. Well, let me tell totally you. Totally agree. Chris. Yeah, that's where I lie. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you got to make sacrifices, and this is a sacrifice. Yeah, it's bad for the ticker. Kevin Quarry. I don't think it really is, but I'm going to go with that. Gosh, the Colts have drafted in the second round 12 times under Chris Ballard. Who's the best second round pick they've taken? Oh, it's got to be Leonard, right? Yeah. Uh, Pittman and Jonathan Taylor probably knocking on that door. Uh, maybe yeah, you, could, you, you could make Kelly? an argument for Taylor. Who? Wasn't Kelly a second round pick? Although that was, was that a Grigson pick? Uh, well, Kelly was a first rounder, and that was a Grigson oh, who pick. Who am I thinking of that was their... Who am I thinking of in a year where they drafted their first pick was the number was the second round? So like they've you had felt a few like of those. they've only drafted a first rounder once. You know who I'm thinking of? And it goes way back. I'm thinking of Jack Muhort because wasn't he a year that they didn't have a first yeah, rounder? Yeah, that was a Trent Richardson draft, and they traded the first round pick. And for I thought Muhort was a good was a, a serviceable player, a, a perfectly fine player. But yeah, the injuries and just gave out. Him. Yeah, yeah, they've only taken a first rounder once in the last. Four drafts. They traded them. Obviously, got to go back to um, the DeForest Buckner trade. Uh, they traded out of the first round in 2019. I think Rocky Seen was the early pick in that year. And then Carson Wentz. So, Quiddy Pay is the only one that they've drafted in round one since Quentin Nelson in 2018. Was Rocky Seen Temple? Yeah, it wasn't a. Um, he went somewhere first. Was it Presbyterian? Does that sound right, Scotty? Presbyterian to Temple. Yeah, great wrestler in high school, Rocky Scene. Um, All right, uh, number one through eight, Jake. Uh, Number one through eight, I will go with number six. Number six, Mark Dykton. Terrence. Terrence, good Monday morning to you, Terrence. How you doing? Terrence, doing good, man. How are you? I'm doing fine. Terrence, Terrence, do you have a uh, quarterback favorite for the Colts? Uh, say that again. I'm on the road. Oh, yeah. All good. Um, do you have a quarterback favorite for the Colts here for Thursday night? 
Uh, quarterback favorite, uh, Anthony Richardson. Okay. Terrence, I've got a really good buddy, a uh, roommate of mine from college, whose brother's name is Terrence. Uh, it's not you, is it? Probably not. <laughs> Terrence, where are you on the road to? I'm 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 a truck driver. I'm I'm here in uh, Somerset, Kentucky. Oh yeah! Didn't you tell us 65 was your favorite highway? Uh, it's not. Have you ever stopped at a Bucky's? <laughs> that's wrong. No. Have I ever what? Stopped at Bucky's? I love Bucky's. Yeah, I bet. Ter- <laughs> Terrence, before we begin, can you just give us a, a can you give us a pull on the horn? Up, can you give us one of those? Heck yeah! That's what I'm talking about. Oh, there we we go. can hear that from Kentucky. <laughs> there we go, man. There we yeah, go, Terrence. All right, drive safely. Scared the Jesus out of someone this <laughs> You've woken up the bluegrass state here Hell this yeah. Monday morning, Terrence. <laughs> That's what I like. Terrence, would you like for me, that would be Jake, to lead you off with question number one, or would you like for Kevin to lead you off? Uh, You know what? Um, I tend to be smart, Alec, just like Kevin, so I'll pick Kevin. <laughs> All right. All right. Terrence, good luck. Safe travels today. Uh, De'Aaron Fox, 126 points for De'Aaron Fox through the Kings' first four playoff games, which has set a new franchise record. Whose record did Fox break? A, Peja Stojakovic, B, Chris Webber, C, the big O, Oscar Robertson, or D, Nate Archibald? Uh, Think local. Think local. Um, hmm. I used to live Oscar right Robinson. next to where this guy played high school. Correct. Okay. Oscar Robertson. All right, here we go. Question number two. In the NBA playoffs, the number one seed in the West, the Denver Nuggets, are one win away from eliminating the eight-seeded Timberwolves in the East. The top-seeded Bucks trail number eight Miami two games to one heading into game four tonight in Florida. Name the last conference number one seed that lost to an eight-seed in the opening round of the playoffs was it the seattle supersonics the miami heat the san antonio spurs or the dallas mavericks i'm probably wrong but i'll pick seattle okay that would have been my guess too um you want another one terrence why not heat spurs or mavericks peewee herman has been to this city Heat Spurs, man. You know what? I'm going to pick Spurs because that's where he tried to find his bike in San Antonio on Pee Wee's Big Adventure. (laughs) Large Marge was the truck driver. Terrence, you are a smart fella here. I think he's the first pop quiz caller ever from the state of Kentucky. He's the first to know that Pee Wee Herman's bike was in the Alamo. I'll tell you that. All right, Terrence, number three. Texas. That's right. <laughs> Darren, if you go five for five, we're going to need the horn a few more times here. We need it a out. few times anyway. Uh, all right, name okay. the only number eight seed to reach the NBA Finals. The Knicks, the Warriors, the Nuggets, or the Pistons? Knicks, Warriors, Nuggets, Pistons. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm probably wrong again. I'm probably going to go New York. They beat the Pacers to get there. And and 99. Yep. Jeez, man. Look at Terrence. Terrence. Hey, Terrence, what's your ultimate destination today? The the load that you're driving right now is going to where? Uh, 
Well, I've already dropped it off, thank God. But uh, I'm headed back to uh, Lebanon, Tennessee. And you, so you were ultimately where? You had to drop it off where? Uh, Somerset, Kentucky. Okay. All right, question number four for you. The Golden State Warriors trio of Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson won their 94th playoff game on Sunday. That is the, the third most wins by a trio in NBA playoff history. Which team boasts the trio with the most wins as a unit in NBA history? Would it be the Bulls, the Lakers, the Celtics, or the Spurs? Uh, oh, man. Give me that question one more time, man. Okay, so basically each of these teams, the Bulls, Lakers, Celtics, and Spurs, have yeah. at some point a key trio that were together for multiple okay. playoff runs. Which of those gotcha. four has the trio that accumulated the most playoff wins? Okay, okay. Uh, what are the teams again? Bulls, Lakers, Celtics, Bulls, Spurs. Lakers, Celtics, Spurs. Okay, Bulls, Lakers, Celtics, Spurs. Um, uh, I'll play Bulls. All right, Terrence. Surrounded out number five, Boston rookie Mazataka Yoshida became just the fourth rookie in MLB history to hit two home runs in the same inning in yesterday's Red Sox win in Milwaukee. I laughed too when I had to read that question. Who was the last rookie to homer twice in the same inning? A, Mark McGuire. B, Joe Pepitone. C, Cecil Fielder. Or D, Jackie Jensen. There's a Seinfeld reference with this guy. There's a lot of Seinfeld references with this guy. <laughs> oh, God, man. I know I'm going to get this wrong. I don't know Jack Squat about baseball. Um, McGuire, Pepitone, Fielder, or Jensen? Uh, I'll say McGuire. I'm wrong, but... We go the one that sounds like the medicine we'll have to take Wednesday after <laughs> drinking the old coffee and mayo. Hey, Terrence, can can we get one more horn blast from you by chance? Yes! Love that. I was thinking maybe he could just, every time he says a right answer, he could just do the horn blast like he got that one right there on that one. But he, he had a great start. Uh, De'Aaron Fox, 126 points in yeah. his first four playoff games. New franchise record. He did break the Big O's record. I am thrilled more than you can possibly believe over the fact that Terrence understood my wavelength with Pee Wee Herman and trying to find his bike in the Alamo. That the San Antonio Spurs lost to Memphis in 2011. Well, I was pretty impressed by number three as well. The only eight seed to reach the NBA Finals, it was the New York Knicks. That was the year that they beat Miami on a last-second Allen Houston shot in the lane in Miami and then the four-point play with LJ. Was that the brawl, like the Van Gundy morning... Yes, so that, got, that was the same year, yes. Uh, number four was where he got tripped up. Joe Pepitone was correct for number five. Number four, it is the trio of Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, and Manu Ginobili. You 126 wins. Terrence, call again, though, man. Drive safe. Terrence, thank you. That's great.
Terrence has heard. We it. did uh, two Honda Civic horns uh, this weekend with Rosie sitting with me, parked in the front seat, and you would have thought we literally just had died and gone to heaven. <laughs> it is awesome. When you were a kid, though, didn't you always do that as you passed a truck? I'm like waiting. Okay, no cars coming either way. All right, here we go. Uh, so a couple of those, and she was absolutely thrilled on that. And All right, we'll do it one final time here. Kevin and Corey on a Monday. Big Monday college basketball. Uh, Boo signing off. Did you sign off on the parental form? The you know <laughs> consent for him to be on television. Uh, I, I don't know how this is going to go. I just know that um, Pet Pals, I think, is the name of the segment that Patty Spitler does for Wish TV. And they said, "Oh, we we want to do a story on the fact that you adopted a cat." And I said, "Okay, that's cool." And I, I, I assuming they want him to be part of this. Now he's very warmed up to me, but I don't know how he's going to be with other people in inside the residence. So I. This, he may immediately go hide under the guest bed again. I have no idea. But we'll see. Well, if he's like his dad, just a little <laughs> pre-camera makeup and he'll be good to go. That's right. Somebody suggested you get like one of those like like those baby Bjorns and you just wear him on your chest. I said, well, not only is that probably good for Boo, but that uh, that gives you optimal TV time. Agreed. That's, Legs all sprawled out. It's one of the more effective baby this mechanisms out there. We're buddies right now. <laughs> he, I mean, he's a good cat. He's he's a cool dude. I've never been a ca- this, never been a cat guy, but this weekend, you know, <laughs> you guys see um kind of a crazy story. Did you see um Lori Markkinen? You know the Jazz forward, the All Star. Yeah. You see what he's doing this off season? Uh, not buying a vowel because he's got plenty of those. Yeah, plenty of them. No, he's serving in the Finland Army. Really? Is that required? All males prior to the age of 30 have to serve, I believe it's at least six months. And so he is on a base, I think, just outside of Helsinki for six months. I mean, they they showed a picture. I mean, he's in fatigue, shaved head. That's fascinating. It is. um, The Olympics just, was the last, last Olympics the first time they've done golf in a while? Does that sound right, Scotty? And um, in those Olympics in Japan, uh, Sung J M and Si Woo Kim, two Koreans, were participating. And their only way not to serve, I think it's a two-year military term for them, would have been to win a medal in the Olympics. Really? If you are able to no win a medal... You are able to forego your military obligation. Can you imagine that pressure? That's for Japan. That was for Korea. The oh, Korea. Um, South Korea. Say. The the Olympics were in Japan. Okay, because um, that's it, I I mean that sounds like something like China would do, but and by all I mean Sung J M and Siwoo Kim for those unfamiliar, two very very good PGA Tour players. They're top fifty players in the world. Top probably more like top thirty players in the world. And I am like sitting there, Jake, watching, thinking, I'm rooting for them more than anybody. No question. Unfortunately, neither of them were able to finish with a medal. You know... But I guess a lot of hockey players are with Laurie Markkinen. The, obviously, Finland produces a good amount of NHL players, so this seems to become a popular thing for the NHL Finnish population to do during the offseason. When I was... I'd have to think of the age... 25, probably? I spent a weekend as I've told you guys before probably, in the Marion County Hotel, also known as the Lockup. And uh, might I say, clerical error, 
uh, all charges expunged, which still irritates me because I really want a copy of my mugshot, and there's I can't find it anywhere. You gotta tell us a little bit more details on this front. Five second nutshell: I was driving home. Uh, in the middle of the winter, got pulled over for running a stop sign, rolling through a stop sign, and they were like, wait a minute, we have a warrant for your arrest. And I'm like, there, there's no way. And they're like, no, we do. So they took me to the old lockup, and it was like probably 10 hours before I actually got to be processed to even know what I was charged with. And they said, well, you're being charged with check deception. I'm like check deception. Sounds yeah. shady. Yeah, I was gonna say that's this is this sounds like mopery. Doesn't even exist. So, turns out when I was at IU, I had a checking account at the Monroe County Bank, and I had one check outstanding when I closed the account after I left school, and didn't realize I had one check still outstanding. So they kept sending letters to my address in Bloomington saying, "Hey, you owe twenty two dollars and eighty two cents." I can still tell you was the amount, and there's no minimum in Monroe County for um filing charges against that so they put a warrant out for me for check deception so i ended up going down and writing a check for or taking 22 dollars 82 cents and they were like yeah you're 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 good any rate it was a horrible 41 experience 41 hour experience but i'm kind of glad i went through it and i know this sounds crazy but part of me feels like every young male in particular, like at the age of 18, how some countries you have to go to like a minimum tour in the service. I feel like everybody at the age of 18 should have to spend two days in the Marion County lockup. I know that sounds crazy, mm-hmm. but like it, I'm assuming you guys have never been, right? No, no. I've, no. Was, you know us too. Hard time for both of us. <laughs> no, I mean, it was interesting. Them. Now, there was one guy when I was in there, true story, a guy came up to me. Uh, after I'd been in, you go in there and you're in this room and it's very intimidating, whatever else. And you, you know, you're trying to, you're just kind of trying to, you know, keep your peace. And then after about an hour, the door opens and the new crop comes in like in Shawshank. And then you're like initiated and suddenly like you're the veteran now and you're like, Oh, well who are the new fish here? You know, oh boy. and you're a tough that guy. That can be taken in a lot of ways. So, so one guy named Daryl was the Any first guy I there? talked to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, so Daryl, what are you in for? And he said, you know that Cub Food over on Washington Street? And I said, oh, yeah, sure, of course. And he goes, I stole me some cube steaks. And I said, oh, okay. Well, you know. Jameis Winston. And, you know, so then I said, um, yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's ridiculous. They brought you in here, whatever. Then he goes, I also killed my ex-lady back in 87. They just found out about it. God, I said, well, well, I, yeah, I, What's that? Uh-huh. I think somebody needs me yeah. over here. Like, congrats yeah. on the free steaks, I think Darryl. the warden's getting my attention. You, you are you never. put those items higher in the story to make sure the reader consumes that as early as possible. You are never going to see charges on that petty theft crime. Good uh, luck. Jake's moved to the corner of the cell. <laughs> That's right. So anyway, it was an interesting 41 hours. I, uh, this is probably the kiss of death and the jinx, but I always have thought this in covering the Colts now for, I guess, a little bit over a decade. I feel like the Colts... Can you name the last Colts player to get arrested? <sighs> yeah. Um, Was it the golf cart guy? David Perry flipping a golf cart in Arizona? I forgot about that. The John Boyette at Tiki Bob's? That, he ripped his shirt off, told everybody he played for the Colts. There was the one guy that was face down in his own urine at 38th and Lafayette after a night out in the, in the media. And you remember that? you got to be more specific that was, than that. That, that could be anybody. That was a while ago. Uh, that was a while ago. You're right. It's been a while. Who was the kid, the backup running back from Washington or New Mexico State that got arrested? 
Ooh, Mexico State. That doesn't really ring a bell for me. Keontae something. Ooh. Scotty, help me out. Scotty knows. I got nothing. You're right. It's been a while. I mean, to, to your yeah, point. Yeah, and again, obviously insert all your jokes here on winning Community Tuesdays versus winning football games. Are you talking but, about that were on the roster at the time? Yeah. Basically, okay. you know, bottom ticker ESPN, Colts player has been arrested, mm-hmm. and now it's like, all right, scramble to, you know, do some background on it. Why? Do you have some big name? Uh, were you going to tell well, us Andrew Luck's been arrested for... February 2023, uh, Vontae Davis arrested for DUI. Well, yeah, unfortunately. That's the most recent one. Yeah. Vontae didn't did they had, during they the had, middle of the Bills game was that it? They had a stretch the Colts did under Polian where it was pretty rough. You're right, 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 right. Uh, thank you to Tom Allen. Thank you to Joel A. Erickson. Mark tomorrow. Ross Tucker at eight. Yep, correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody have a great Monday. We'll talk to you tomorrow at seven a.m.